0: what's up gypsy gang we're back for another episode of the gypsy tales podcast and today i'm joined by our good friends adam bailey and ryan sanderson they have formed the new sx global the new fim world championship uh that is going to be run out of australia uh, these guys are the legends that bought you the ausx open in sydney uh and then their debut event in melbourne in 2019 Uh, which was just flat out one of the best Supercross races I've ever been to in my life. Um, These guys have a long-term commitment with uh, pretty massive investors. Um, I didn't know a lot about the whole deal. I'd kind of waited uh, to find out because I knew that we'd do this podcast at some point. Um, But yeah, basically in this episode, we just fully go through what this new uh, FIM World Championship uh, looks like. The team structure, the rider structure, the bonuses, the payouts, everything. Um, so yeah, this is a really cool uh, episode and a, a look into the future of Supercross. Uh, we are brought to you today by the Legends at MX Door. You can head to mxstore.com.au. Um, I'm going to be hitting it pretty hard. We're doing some bike build stuff again. Uh, getting ready for Manji. Getting ready for Fink. It just doesn't really get any easier uh, than MX Store. You know what's crazy too is I actually bent my gear lever on my 350 at Manji last year and I still don't have one. So while I'm thinking about it, I'm going to go to MX Store right now. I'm going to do the click and collect because they're just around the corner from the studio. Um, so you can do that. Or if you order before 2 p.m., if you don't live in Burley or the surrounding area, uh, you get same day shipping. So it's pretty much like living in Burley. Again, mxdoor.com.au. We're also brought to you by the guys at Anti-Gravity Batteries. We're going to have a bunch of cool stuff coming up um, with these guys. I'm running one of their batteries in my 350 uh, and I'll also be running one of their batteries in our Fink bikes. Um, We're going to be doing some bike build stuff with Casey Stoner. He got his 450. We're going to be flat tracking that thing. Um, and also, uh, got a new car on the way. So I'm going to run a dual battery from anti-gravity. These guys literally do everything when it comes to batteries. They're the leaders, um, of lithium technology. Uh, you can find them in the pro circuit cowies, uh, Jason Anderson's factory cowie, Eli Tomax, star racing, Yamaha. The guys absolutely kill it. And massive fan of their battery packs as well. Um, anti-gravity batteries.com. See what I'm talking about. Check them out. Uh, these guys absolutely kill it. Uh, a crew that absolutely kill it as well are the guys at Crush Oz. You can head to crushoz.com. Uh, look, motocross—it's a dirty sport. You heard Anton was say it, um, but not for the reasons he was talking about. It's just literally dirty. Um, if you want to make cleaning your bike way less of a punish, just go to crushoz.com. Uh, they do the complete bike care bucket. That's pretty much what I use. It's just like top to bottom, you just use all the all the products. You use the bike wash, you use their degreaser, you use the aftercare spray. It's got the, uh, the scrubbing brush in there as well. So that's pretty much just been the program for me. I actually think we should probably give a couple of those away too. I'm going to talk to them about that. Uh, once again, crushoz.com. We're also brought to you by the team, the lovely team. I can't say guys anymore um, because there's a crew of lovely guys and gals at Fist Handwear that uh, keep all of our hands sticky on the bars and relatively blister-free. I said it in the last ad read, but I actually wore a pair of other brand name gloves uh, and got the gnarliest blisters I've ever got in my entire life. I think I hadn't really thought about it before because I just have been wearing fists for 11 years now. Um, But other glove companies, they don't just specialize in gloves. They make gear and all sorts of other shit. Fists just make gloves and socks. Um, but, you know, you can't really fuck up socks, I guess. But gloves you can definitely fuck up, I found. Um, and fists don't fuck up their gloves. Uh, so you can head to fisthandwear.com. You can use the code GYPSY GANG. That's going to get you 20% off. Um, they're the best in the game, hands down. The best in the game as well when it comes to graphics are the guys at Rival Inc. Design Co. Uh, you can head to Uh You can check them out. They do jersey prints as well. Um, if it comes to things that stick, the guys at Rival do it better than anybody else. So once again, Co.com. That's it for me for this episode. I uh, hope you guys are enjoying the podcast. Our team has been working super hard here uh, behind the scenes. Shout out to Alex and Griff. Uh, yeah, so we're going to just do our best to keep bringing you these pretty flat out between now and manji actually um we got a europe trip that we're doing for the stark vog uh and then off to race manji and then fink so pretty pretty busy but we're going to do our best to keep bringing you guys a couple podcasts a week thanks very much guys all the best love you
1: all
0: and then we're rolling yeah that's good all good
2: does that work
0: yeah sweet yeah you're perfect you're perfect uh right hey we got the boys from what do we call what do we call in the business these days it's still ame is it sx sx global sx global so we're here with the sx global boys uh second time on the podcast for these two last time they were in here we were talking about the upcoming marvel supercross event Smash that out of the park. The boys are on a bigger and better things now. They're running a world supercross championship. I don't know that much about it. I have purposely stayed away from the info. So if I seem super ignorant, it was just because I knew at some point we were going to do this podcast. So I just wanted full fresh, fresh slate. So, boys, talk to me. What are we doing? It's
2: good to catch up, Jess. Yeah, good. you too, mate. Yeah, um. I mean, it's been a wild journey. We were pumped on the X open obviously in 2019 and, and it ended up being a great success. You know, we chatted to you beforehand and, you know, we had 35,000 people there at Marvel Stadium and that was, that was epic. Um, but we, we even leading up to that for a couple of years, it had plans to go international. We, mm. we, we'd been looking into it, which I think we spoke about. Yeah. We'd been to Singapore, to Thailand, to Japan, you know, basically, you know, um, Sando and I, you know, noticed that the the US championship, the AMA championship, hadn't left the US for a while, and we're thinking, you know, based on our own events, we knew that there's a market and interest and, and fans outside yeah. the US. So, our idea was to go find, you know, capitalize on the fact that there's no events outside the US really, and our own event kind of proved that that, that worked. There's an appetite, work. yeah. Yeah, so. We'd started that sort of plan before then, and which is why we brought Tony Cochran on in the first place to try and help us expand internationally. And we we got to New Zealand, as you know, and and um, we had so we had you know New Zealand and Australia, but we were looking into Asia particularly. Um, but then COVID kind of put a big stop to everything that we were doing, um, like it did everyone for events. Yeah. And um, and you know then then soon after all of that, and we were planning to get the Ozx Open up as we you know were for twenty 2020 twenty and twenty twenty one, but. Then um, when Feld announced that they were going to, you know, part ways with FIM on the uh, on the World Championship rights. We we got together with Tony and we're like, man, we got to get after this because yeah. it was the one for us to expand internationally. It was the biggest challenge we had. Is how we what are we going to call it? They've yeah. got the World Championship rights. How are we going to do this? Are we just going to call the we international at championship? If
1: I am Asia Pacific, for example, yeah. Originally, we were FIM Oceania, That's that's right. Yeah, we
2: Australia, New Zealand, and then we were
1: going to go for a F, FIM Asia Pacific. Yep. Um, but then yeah, that that came up in May last year, didn't it?
2: Yeah, and so you know, pretty much straight away from there. We just got to work, um, basically had parallel plans. We've got to win the, the rights from FIM and yeah. we've got to find a, a big financial backer to make it happen and to do it at the scale that we want to do it. And you know, um, by uh, you know, December, I think 24th, literally, was it like Christmas Eve, we signed the shareholders agreement and, and the FIM rights had been signed the week before that or something. Yeah. And, and from then it was a done deal. So we've just been going flat out since. It <laughs> so- was a
1: crazy timeline. Like it was application to the FIM in August triggered a global tender in September and then we weren't notified, you know, formally and starting to do a contract with FI until probably November to Adam's point. And then... Pull, pull this
0: down a little bit. That
1: and that ran all the way through to... Then we were doing the financial partner with Mubadala as well at the same time. So it was a pretty crazy yeah. year last year. There were so many moments when we didn't think it was going to happen and then for it to happen, like Adam said, just before Christmas. And then, okay, now this happened now we are got to roll this out. And we're going <laughs> now we got to, to do really everything we said we're going to do. <laughs> <laughs> and now we've got to actually figure
0: it out. So was there other people competing for the the license, essentially, to call it the Global Supercross? Like, Was there much interest uh, in other parties or had you guys kind of just like swooped in and just...
1: Well, they did the Global Tender, the FIM did. Yeah. I think the advantage for us, this whole opportunity has come up because of the pandemic, we believe, and, yeah. and we believe failed probably looked at the FIM rights potentially as a a cost-cutting exercise initially amongst other issues they would have had that we're not um, across. But at the time, other global promoters are probably already suffering through the pandemic, Mm. having financial struggles as every championship was to put on events without crowds. So the timing for us to be a new company with, with significant financial backing was really unique. And I think for the timing... Um, especially it was, you know, a great opportunity for us. And then for the FIM, I think because we obviously led with Tony Cochran, he's our president, but we brought other really mm. notable um, directors on board with Tom Potter, who's had over 25 years experience in Formula One. And then also Tavo Hellmond who's had a strong relationship with Bernie Eccleston his whole business career. He's been instrumental in the growth of um, Formula One in the USA with Circuit of the Americas and also mm. helping with the mexican gps advised the miami gp so we brought on really you know really critical directors and then obviously with mubata the capital as well it's it's been a very unique proposition and then with our history and i guess our success with australia and new zealand we were respected from the industry as Mm. well and i think the fim as well so it all sort of combined um to where we are now which is really exciting
0: so how does the process work like financial backing when you talk about that like how does I guess explain maybe like the the how the financial world of this works because it's this isn't a thing where you guys are trying to like it's not like a backyard startup. It's like a T-shirt company where you start with 50 T-shirts mm. and then you go to 100 T-shirts and then you got 150. Light. It's not really the model it's that you guys are it
1: It's not what it was. Uh, <laughs> for and I think,
0: yeah, and I think the AusX Open was that, Yeah,
2: you know, where yeah. we kind of bootstrapped it through and you know, Sando and I had a little bit of investment at the start, um, but then we bought out that partner right at the very beginning. And then since it's kind of just, you yeah. know, bootstrapped along using sponsorship cash flow and get it going, but to your point, you can't launch a global yeah. championship. You can't onboard the the team, the world class team that we need, the staff that we need. You can't support the teams the way that we are without solid mm. financial backing. So really, you know, what it come down to and and um, you know, Tony's brought in his old CFO from Supercars, going a guy named Ken Jeffress, who's super experienced, and they've kind of rolled this thing out before when they yeah, took, took right. over superheat Tony bought supercars for 55 grand or something like that sold it for 310 million That's insane, but, but eh? you know grew that sport and that property you know into what it was into international events and things back in his day so you know really it's kind of like um, build a financial model and a plan for you know long term multiple years you know five to ten years at least for the initial financial model. And, um, you know, get to work on how we're going to roll this out, how we're going to, you know, attract the teams, we're going to financially support them and how, you know, it becomes a a profitable, you know, enterprise over the next three to five years as opposed to, hey, we've got to do event by event, we've got to make money on this one and that's how we'll fund the next one. Like you you couldn't do a world championship that way. So um, we sort of learned how to scrimp and save to to get to where we are now, but then we bring in an investor like that and it's like, okay, now it's time to get the right team we've hired an incredible team from our coos formerly nitro circus steve rogers just joined us yeah, he's amazing yeah. you know the cfo ken is previously supercars and indycar around that time our our um head of broadcast is amazing i'm not sure how much we can talk about that yet but Sando's onboarded like um you know a lot of experience that you, yeah. you couldn't do without sort of enough cash to be able to bring those people on to begin with and that way we
0: can you know hit the ground running straight up and so who's the the company That is involved on that financial side and like do they have a history in this sort of stuff like does then that company have like a say in what goes on at all in some way you know like because I guess there's you know you see a company like the UFC they were fully privately owned and then they got bought out by Mm. essentially like an entertainment company and it's like they're still run by the UFC and that's still Dana White's the president but then there's kind of this party here so is that Oh, I guess just trying to understand like the landscape, you know. Yeah,
1: so it's Mubadala Investment Company is a sovereign wealth fund in Abu Dhabi. Yeah. So it's a sovereign wealth fund, it's not private equity, so it's yep. slightly different obviously. And then we're part of Mubadala Capital, or the Mubadala Capital is the company that's invested in us. So it focuses just on sports media and entertainment. So interestingly, they invested in UFC in in the early years they were one of the financial partners that backed yep. ufc um they've done similarly with uh new york yankees um they've done similar with uh manchester the, city soccer yeah manchester city soccer group the formula one so abu dhabi and also the brazilian um, yep. formula one as well and then they've they've invested in img endeavor one of the largest obviously agencies yep. in the world and they've invested a a got a pretty big investment in thrill one as well internationally so that's that's what owns nitro circus and yeah, nitro right. World games and nitro rallycross so they're fun the Mubadala capital are with us the directors are on our board they're all sports entertainment professionals yeah. so they're only focused on sports media and entertainment and because it's a sovereign wealth fund as well they're obviously not wanting to make bad investments but it's a bit different to private equity where you'll come and you'll try and cash up in three to five yeah, years Yeah, yeah, this is a really exciting opportunity because they are in a for the long haul
0: and so maybe explain what a sovereign wealth fund is then
1: it's just basically it's like government money effectively or it's the wealth of that that country or abu Dhabi. so it's it's family and or government wealth so it's not a private equity firm in the sense that they have to present back to shareholders and they have to make a profit and shareholders are buying in to make money just like they would a stock or another you know publicly listed company so um, it's quite a bit different and it's very unique and we're really excited because the two um, directors on our board Matt Kim he heads up the whole fund so he's on our board which is really exciting and he's, he's obviously very experienced in a lot of acquisitions of so many different sport entertainment and media you know portfolios and properties which is yeah. great um, but then also Russ Pillar who's also our chair he was he headed up um, Virgin Group works with Richard Branson he's you know also ran the LA Marathon he sold it to Mububadala and now works with them directly so yep. they're they're very experienced but they're not not like a private equity person that's you know
2: buying not different been yeah, they're, different, not suits. yeah, yeah. Exactly. They're, they're cool they're both Americans they're, cool. they're legends they're they're, they're they're investing into what they believe Supercross can be Yeah. And before we approached them they didn't really know much about it at all and then yeah. they're like, "This is insane! These mm. guys are insane! Like, what the hell?" And then they, they, they've become fans through the process of watching Supercross. That's awesome. And which that and so they came to Anaheim too to check it out as well with us. We got a suite there, came along, had a look, and they're just like, "This is incredible!" Um, it's but it's got so much scope for improvement. You yeah. know what can we do? You know because they have that sport and entertainment, yeah. You know experience and they're looking at it through fresh eyes. They're, yeah. new, they're new fans, but they've got experience in all these other sport and entertainment properties and how we can turn this into a global property. So that was what was exciting for us because we're obviously hardcore fans like you. and We've you been around it, yeah. it forever. So yeah. we, we believe in it. We've yeah. believed in it forever. But then when you've got these guys that are so experienced in all these other sport and entertainment properties, believing in your vision and going, yeah, we, we believe mm-hmm. too, We then we were just like, this is serious. Like We can mm-hmm. really make this work. And, and um, getting their belief was just that kind of final you know kick for us to go Yep, yeah, like this we can really do this you know yeah it's such a massive
0: project oh <laughs> like yeah it's fucking out of control <laughs> yeah. like the journey that you're about to go on with it it's oh insane. Yeah. and yeah. Matt,
1: matt came to san diego with me it was just matt and i because adam had covid so he missed um san diego and matt got it within five minutes of mm. being at san diego the the younger crowd the the diverse crowd you know there's a lot younger teenagers you know under 35s in most sports to be honest and a lot of yeah, male female yeah. a lot of young teenagers young 20 year olds going in groups of friends you know, then you got young families with kids. Like he was blown away with the demographic of of fan that was at San Diego, and it's yeah. it's exactly the same fan that we had at Ozix Open. Hundred percent. That's, I mean, it certainly excites me the same because I remember when we first went to Bercy, we went to Paris, and we saw how they were putting that event on before we were doing Ozix Open, and it blew me away of what was possible. And then you know, we feel we we achieved that with Ozx Aus- Open, but before we'd actually done it you know to concept that and then for it to roll it out and see what it can do as an entertainment property just as much as a you know incredible sport that everyone yeah. respects worldwide is really exciting and, and yeah to adam's point they were there and 5 five ten minutes okay this is an incredible property this is a, arguably a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity because it's a world championship and certainly for australian company yeah. no australian company's had an fia or fim world championship before so that's really exciting something we're proud of as well
0: yeah, yeah, I mean, it's it must feel weird a little bit for you guys because you guys are living in the future, like, so far ahead of, you know, and then to even do, like, a podcast like this or you do other interviews and stuff, like, it just seems so obscure at this point to people, uh, but you guys are, like, actually living in the future and uh, you could see so much more than, I guess, what, like, the average kind mm. of person... Could see, uh, and it's almost like, uh, the messaging, or you guys have like this messaging challenge over like the next little bit of like, no, this is fucking real. Like, you don't understand, like, you don't know what we know, kind of thing with like this level of investment in the company. Yeah,
2: it's true. And, um, you know, and, and, you know, respectfully, the AMA Supercross Championship is so huge. And, you know, as you know, we've been fans forever and we, we are fans of Supercross and of that championship. I've watched it since I was a kid and, and yeah. as has Sando. So we're big fans of it. So it's not like we're out to shit can anything that anyone else has done. It's just that we truly believe that it can be an international, mm. global sport and, and it isn't yet. And so. You know we have a really clear vision of what that looks like and we we truly believe in it and and we see f1 and moto gp and we see those athletes looking up to supercross athletes mm-hmm. i mean you, you know like jack he's, he's an incredible moto gp athlete he's looking at jet lawrence and hunter lawrence like they're legends and mm-hmm. you know it's like it tells us that supercross belongs at that level it belongs at the pinnacle of of mm-hmm. global sport and as great as the, the championship is now and as great as it has been it's not that yet mm-hmm. and there is huge scope to grow so you know that's what excites us because we love it we're not out to shit can anything else but we believe that it can be a Mm -hmm. global sport just like our final moto gp can be
0: well i mean that's for me personally that was the thing that surprised me the most i guess with doing the podcast is like once it started getting a little bit of momentum it was just like the fucking people that are in your inbox yeah and just frothing over these supercross dudes and i was just like why does no one know this you know this isn't this isn't a part of our Culture, you know, and there's there's so many sports where these kind of like the crossovers and the the camaraderie between different athletes is like such a big part of I guess just like the narrative in general. Mm. You go to UFC and it's like every time there's a UFC event, it's like ringside you see different celebrities and you see these different people and they're like showing the social media tweets and as far as uh, I guess like other sports showing that and embracing that and it being a part of the culture the, that was just a huge thing that motocross and supercross has just like never really capitalized
1: on. yeah it's like um dan ricardo in the drive to survive with hunter lawrence this yeah. season you know and the crossover and the respect they have and what they did with Alpine Stars and they did the, you know... The gear. Hunter Ranny's livery and that sort of crossover is great for any sport, let yeah. alone Supercross. And I think fundamentally what we're excited about is it's a unique motorsport even compared to MotoGP and Formula One. Like our, our director, Tarbo Hellman, he's come from Formula One and he, he mentioned the other day, he's like supercross you know you don't go to an event and sit in a grandstand and just watch one corner like mm-hmm. you do when you go to a formula one or MotoGP gp event yeah. you sit in a beautiful stadium in your comfortable seat and you can see the whole track and supercross is such an amazing sport because you can watch your rider all the way around and see where he's faster than everyone else you don't yeah. need to ride a bike to know yeah oh shit he's just jumped that that jump you know he's done yeah. a quad <laughs> yeah. or a triple instead of a double or whatever and um, it's it's super engaging. It's like, you know, just as engaging as watching freestyle motocross or really elite action sports, like big air snowboarding. Like yes. it's it's got that incredible appeal, fearlessness, aspiration. And then you can combine it with all the entertainment production elements have been very successful for the likes of Nitro Circus touring around the world. And then you can, we can add music, we can bring in DJs, we could bring in live acts. That's really exciting of what you can do for a fan experience. Yeah. And then... You know, fans could go to an EPL soccer game or NFL, you know, football game in the US and then go to Supercross the next week. Like, that's pretty phenomenal. They could have the same fan experience technically in the stadium. Yeah. So, it makes a very unique motorsport compared to what even some MotoGP and some Formula One events can offer. So, that's where we see the excitement and and the vision of the future for this sport.
0: And so, when you start talking to these different, like this investment company what are they like what are their initial thoughts like is it a super hard sell I mean like you kind of once you got them to the stadium they they sort of got it but is the sport a hard sell to outsiders because I think it's like that's kind of being the stereotype within the industry right it's like there's no outside industry sponsors Mm. and you know blah, blah 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 and you see guys come in and then they go out so I think there's like, there's a big part of the industry that's just jaded from that as well. Um but what was that and in, like initial process like? Does it just instantly grab these people's attention and it's just never been put to them um or is it a tough sell?
2: Well they they invested that $300,000 on a on a research paper to see what fans there was of Supercross around the world, what regions, what cities, what governments would likely support events like this. and They invested a lot to to research and And it came back with pretty surprising results at how many fans there are around the world. Mm -hmm. And, 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 you know, I mean, the likes of Brazil popped up was was quite a surprise. They don't have Supercross like this, but there's a huge amount of fans. It was ranked Mm -hmm. in the top... Four or five Mm. of cities of of, sorry of countries that have Supercross fans you know along with US obviously being number one France Australia other parts of Europe where you didn't you know we underestimate Mm. that there are fans all around the world that don't get Supercross events they don't Mm. or they've never seen it in person like we've been lucky enough to travel and see it in person and have our own events and you know Yeah, the Oz x open people were really grateful that we were able to run events like that in their home country and we could bring it to them but there's countries like that all around the world that haven't seen it or experienced it so you know i think they the fundamentals of what makes supercross amazing um are really obvious in terms of like sando said you can see the whole thing you can be in a comfortable stadium you know the what they do is insane you you don't have to ride to see how impressive it is you you know the the differences that riders are doing on the track are very visible compared to, you know, Formula One, for example, where it's, you know, hundreds of a second and you, visibly you can't see any different. You know, the ability to combine it with sport, the live sport and entertainment, unlike anything else. You know, when you're in a stadium, you can create a concert essentially and have motorsport yeah. in the same place, which yeah. is not common for other forms of motorsport. You know, if you're in an outdoor you know formula one track or a moto gp circuit you, you know you can't do that entertainment is is very hard to do outside the racing itself yeah so being in a stadium environment it also means you're bringing it to the people you can be in a capital city you know um in, in, with millions of people at the at your doorstep with with um you know ubers and trains and public transport and restaurants and hotels yeah. and all the stuff that makes supercross awesome is not just what happens inside the stadium it's it's the whole experience around it and it's yeah. super convenient. So for a weekend away or a time with your your missus or your family or whatever, it's incredibly like your feet don't have to touch to... you yeah, know, but yeah. to go to a motocross event or to go even a MotoGP event or a Formula One event, you gotta trudge through a bit of a car park, you gotta make a bit of a mission and you yeah. know, it can you can be out in the sun all day or it's multiple days and it's a you know, for the fan experience, you've got to be a hardcore to really yeah. be willing to do that. But yeah. in Supercross you can you can swan on in 10 minutes before it starts mm-hmm. you know jump out of the uber or out of the restaurant you can jump in fireworks go the show's you know awesome minute to minute and you're fully engaged the whole time then you can leave and you can go to a bar or a club or a restaurant or a hotel or whatever it is really easily yeah. and so it just removes the barriers the fans you know to, to get involved and that's what's exciting about it because that's what tells us is there's so much more scope is because you can it, it's easy access you yeah. know people can get there and they can experience it really quickly if we can deliver it to them you know around the world so yeah. we think and I believe to answer your question they were engaged by that fact wasn't it how easily yeah. we could welcome people in when you can take a stadium event like that around the world yeah
1: they, they were certainly blown away that we had exhibition events that were all profitable as well with only four or five of, yeah. of the Americans you know coming over so they you know with Tony's vision as well, and I think with regards to supercars, what he achieved if you compared, say, a Winton event that would get maybe 50,000 over mm. a few days to an Adelaide 500 that would get over 300,000 over four days, what was the big difference? A lot of it was built around music, entertainment, everything yeah, over and above yeah, the event. Yep. So he built these large signature supercars events with massive touring acts and we saw with even the Adelaide 500 it it varied in a hundred thousand people just in one year when they had lower level music acts in the last year you know they they went from 320,000 attendees to 200 and then the government bailed out on the event you know in their last year so Tony's success in supercars was built around music and entertainment and and he he grew that series over time built fandom built following that then you know grows avid supporters and Mm. then you know i'm not saying everything is built on music and entertainment but to get that growth Mm. you need to bring something new to this to the sport to get them there to the events for them to then fall in love with the drivers and fall in love with the the sport itself so i think you know everything adam said is exactly right and then what we'd achieve with exhibition events they were like wow if you had the world championship what what's possible yeah and obviously it's not just us it's it's tony but it's the other directors and it's the team of people to adam's point that we're building around us and having the capital to go out and get the very best people to build an incredible team to do this and that that's really exciting now for us because you know we are building that team and and people are jumping on board and they're they're seeing the vision and now it's up to us to obviously work as a team to execute yeah and we got a short runway this year there's no question but we're we're in this for you know as adam said 10 years not not one year this is not just a fly in the pan you know if it works happy days if it doesn't we're out like the ozx open was this is we're committing the 10 years we're coming this is happening you know you're on board or not or you know jump on board later but that's up to you but this is definitely going on so
0: yeah um so i guess does it does it factor into your mind at all that you know you've got like this legitimate funding and you're not gonna sort of be at the mercy of i guess like the same uh i don't know like dipping from the same pockets because it's just like monster red bull like the sport for so long the cash that's funded this shit has come from three companies essentially and it's like there's only so much you can do like you're you're sort of operating within a a certain ecosystem that's kind of bigger than just supercross Mm. you know so it's like from where i'm sitting now it's like okay they've got this legitimate funding from a completely outside company that the interest is just the package not necessarily like pushing their brand like there's not they're not trying to sell anything other than like the sport and the package itself yeah that to me is actually a big deal
2: it's a it's a massive deal and it's massive for us to be able to talk to the industry and talk to teams and talk to manufacturers and say, hey, we're not, for the manufacturers in particular, we don't, we're not here to try and put another drain on you. You know, what we're here to to do is, and we've got great support to build something with or without you. We want you, of course, we want all of the manufacturers involved. We want all of the, you know, all the best riders in the world involved. But a lot of the times with these sports, and as you said, in the industry, they go to the same people and ask them for money to try and make something happen. and we've to be able to have the support we've had and enables us to, to back ourselves and to mm-hmm. say this is going to happen so no single brand or no single manufacturer can, can put a halt on that because we're not reliant on them yep. um, and, and then it's on us to build something world class like we plan to for them, them to want to come involved as yep. opposed to like you know we're going to them cap in hand and saying hey can you help throw us some cash so we can get this thing up yeah. it's not that it's it's us saying we we want you involved we're going to build this global property we'd love to have you there you know but it's going to happen with or without you yeah. you know which is a very different conversation because then they they want to be involved because you know we're not there to drain them we want to build something that's a that's a an international property that's of great benefit to the sport to the teams the riders and everyone that's yeah. involved um, as opposed to us being another drain on them, you know, and that, yeah. that's really been the best thing about it.
1: And in Melbourne, like to clarify, we only had thirty five percent of the fans at at the Ozx um, Open Melbourne. Thirty five thousand fans, thirty five percent of them were endemic fans. Yeah, so. 40% of everyone that was interviewed after the event that didn't ride or wasn't into motorcycling before, they said, oh, I'd actually be interested in getting into motorcycling. So mm. we had 65% of people that were just entertainment audience, just, you know, um, families, friends, young people going, "Well, oh, I'll check this out and see what this is in Melbourne. The first time we'd obviously been there. And that's really exciting for us because that means you've got an audience that can be captivated and turned into endemic fans, but you've also got 65% of an entertainment audience, young predominantly as well, that brands can't normally target and can't really attach themselves to anything or really advertise to. So if they align with these heroes we know that young people now and obviously a lot of millennials gen- generation z they're more likely to buy off someone they look up to yep. or is moving the needle or is aspirational they're more loyal to people they think are cool or, or you know their influencers or or sporting stars so the brands have a huge opportunity to attach themselves to these heroes and we have a massive focus on growing the audience and the yep. fan base so we've got a massive job to do to grow globally the sport of Supercross and the appeal for then people, young young kids, young teenagers, young 20-year-olds to get into motocross at whatever age and yeah. do it as a hobby or then as a profession. But w- there's a huge opportunity to grow the audience as opposed to just tap into the same it's fan all the got. time.
2: Yeah, and I think, you know, we as an industry have, have too much focused on Motocross bike sales, or Supercross, and and how it sells motocross bikes, but it's not necessarily that, you know, like it's a, for there's a lot of motorcycles sold around the world, and mm. it, it's that, you know, like. You know, we use the analogy all the time. The Mercedes don't sell Formula One cars. Mm-hmm. They do Formula One because it showcases their brand at the highest level and what they're how innovative innovative they are. You know, all those kinds of things. And so, Supercross is that. It's the elite level. Not everyone is going to be a Supercross rider. In fact, such a tiny percentage mm-hmm. ever will. But it doesn't mean you won't buy a motorcycle or a scooter or a farm bike or something and be influenced by mm-hmm. watching your favorite Supercross rider. And yeah. that that's kind of been the the shift that we've had to make because um, too often we sort of you know. It's spoken about like it's niche, but it's actually not, because it's an amazing entertainment spectacle, which isn't niche at all. Supercross and who is actually going to ride Supercross? That's niche, mm. but but as an entertainment spectac- mm. spectacle, Supercross isn't niche at all, because anyone can can enjoy it. You know what mm. we we you know we use this example all the time. But one of the first Ozx Open events, we had the uh, managing director of Coke there because Monster sponsored the event. Um, he brought his wife along who would have been in her mm-hmm. you know, mid-50s at the end of the night she came down onto the floor and she was just blown away she said this was the best thing I had the best time thank mm-hmm. you so much and we're like you are not the audience that everyone says is niche to supercross mm-hmm. you know but that just proved to us that supercross isn't actually niche anyone can enjoy it whether you ride or not that's a whole different thing And and but there will be people that will get into motocross and dirt biking and adventure riding and you know other forms of, of motorcycle riding that aren't necessarily going to be a supercross rider um i mean surfing is an example for us yeah love surfing mm. you know my biggest passion other than motocross but i'm never going to be You're a pro surfer surf and now. i'm not i'm not interested in surfing pipe yeah. i have no yeah. interest in it you know that but i appreciate it culture i love it i'm like this is sick i'd love to go on surf trips like we've done a number of times absolutely froth it but i'm not going to surf pipe and i do not care for surfing pipe and that's that shows, that's the same thing with Supercross. People can come along, appreciate it, be entertained, have an epic time, but not actually want to do it or go buy a motocross bike to race Supercross. Yeah, yeah. But they may buy a Honda or a Yamaha or a KTM, for something else on the basis of what they've seen there you know and
1: interestingly julian wilson went to one of our first ozx opens and rides and yeah, and, and yeah. is a real advocate for the sport so that's a good crossover so we, we took a lot of the first couple of years of ozx open our friends and family and everyone we knew that came particularly the the females or non-interested you know um supercross fans at the start how much then they wanted to come each year yeah. and how much they supported and how it converted them into following the sport it really motivated us obviously in those early years to keep going and why we thought we could get to Melbourne eventually and do yeah. like what we did with 35,000 fans and why we think with the World Supercross it can do 50, 60, 70,000 fans you know yeah. we, we think there's a huge opportunity for this sport to grow and we we take a lot of you know energy out of that in those early years because we we did see that we saw again that entertainment audience and we we've seen this with other properties. I mean Nitro Circus is another mm. great example. It only has freestyle motocross, BMX, and and scooters. It doesn't have a formal. Racing competition or anything, so we always knew Supercross is is bigger than that because it's a true competition. You've got a sport racing. within, it's yeah, not just and you can combine exactly. entertainment with it. You can combine the best bits of Nitro Circus with it, <laughs> but you've got a true and in this case a World Championship, which is really exciting. And we've seen that in even Monster Jam as well as a great entertainment property mm. and very successful but again it's not a true competition Mm. and but it does very well at appealing to young kids and family audiences so why can't supercross do that why can't we develop entertainment to appeal to those audiences as well but then hook them into supercross Mm. because that that we all believe is is should Mm. be and as adam touched on earlier we think it can be that moto gp formula one level of sport it's got the respect amongst its peers the riders Mm -hmm. Um, have huge respect globally they have huge followings globally that also supports that but they just haven't really had an opportunity like this to to go truly global in our opinion and to have the opportunity like this and to fund the teams like we are is very unique and it's not unique to different sports it's very common to NASCAR charter system or even the NFL franchise system supercars and and the rec system that Tony created with supercars it's We've just had a white sheet of paper with this opportunity and we've taken all of the best bits we think from other sports and then we've applied it. And now Adam's obviously the lead on that and finding 10 official franchises for the World Championship, which is hugely exciting. And also for those franchises, it's going to be very valuable for them. And, and that's you know, it's what's going to be keeping you busy all year. But it's really, really exciting of having a new approach to Supercross as well.
0: Mm. I think too. It's sort of worth mentioning for I guess if you're like a casual Supercross fan and you don't know the ins and outs of it, Supercross is owned by Feld Motor, uh, like by Feld, and then that is like Disney on Ice. It's Monster Jam. It's concerts, and there's it's a pretty there's like a pretty crazy kind of story within Feld, mm. and it sort of makes sense of why Supercross doesn't have some of these things that you're talking about because. Mm. It sort of just doesn't make sense for that particular business model. And I think yeah. a lot of people, they look at Supercross and they don't know like the, the uh, backdoor workings of it. And there's probably a little bit of frustration or a sense of like, oh, why doesn't this happen? Why doesn't this happen? But essentially, like you've got this massive umbrella company that owns all of these other properties and essentially it's just like it has events in these stadiums just like revolving and it's really hard for anyone else to even get in a stadium with anything else because Feld has these deals like so it's not and, and to Feld there's no real that you've got the AMA that works with them so it's like the the people that own the property they don't oversee the racing and they're not the same on the same page and it's just like it's a bit of a mess to be mm. honest, and. I mean if you look at like this year i'm so sucked into f1 this year massive regulation change Mm. huge regulation change all new rules crazy new developments like there's so much to follow in that sport just based on like them changing some rules and some dimensions of different things and it's like as a fan experience like that sport is giving you so much and it just seems like with with Feld and then the AMA that Feld doesn't really want to change like it's just a small piece of their puzzle so it's like what's the incentive for them to just like year on year push and improve Supercross it's really not like it just needs to stay in line and again it's not talking shit or, or anything mm. but this is just like the reality of the business it's like just that just has to keep doing its thing over there if it lose a bit of money this year that's fine we just need to keep those dates for this stadium and we need to keep this contract happy and then on the AMA side it's like oh we can't really do this because Feld's got this and the TV will do this so I just think like even from the perspective of with you guys like there's just seems like a lot more control Mm. and there can be real changes made and it can be done like you know Mm. and I I always go to the UFC when we're talking about this kind of stuff it's like you've got one fucking dude Mm. that is like the face of the company he's the voice of the company doesn't give a fuck what people think will make it known what they want to do why they're doing it always seems like there's a lot of transparency and then again it sucks you in as a fan because like there's constantly shit happening there's constantly like you're a part of the conversation yeah supercross and i mean chase sexton when he came on the podcast i'd never really kind of thought about it in direct terms as he said but he said supercross is more of a show than a sport and I'm like, fuck! I'm over here thinking that I follow a sport, <laughs> but I sort of don't. I well, it's, follow, it's the ultimate combo it. of both. That's what we love about it, right? Mm. But in terms of uh, the way that it's packaged now with Feld, it's like it's just the same show. Yeah. For 20 years, it's been the same show. It's yeah. like, and and us on the inside, we think it's a sport, but in all reality, it's a three-hour broadcast on whatever NBC the format's the same everything's the same the rules are the same everything's the same we just have been watching the same soap opera for 20 years you know and like on the inside we're thinking that we're a part of this crazy sport because we know all these inner workings but sort of just not really what is going on you know yeah I think that you know and that's what's so exciting for us is that we have a, a
2: blank sheet of paper yeah What are the things? How do we completely disrupt this industry and this sport and make it what we believe it can be, which is a global sport? You know, what we literally started from scratch. What are we going to do? How do we do it? What are the things that we don't think work currently and how do we improve on them? You know, Um, and one of them, which to lead in from Sando's point before, is you know, we don't think that so much of the show should be spent watching people qualify to be in the main part of the show. Amen. At, at, At an elite level, at a world championship level like granted at grassroots you need to have that of course and and um, you know you want to have the privateers coming through and you want people everyone to have an opportunity but when you're talking the Formula 1 of dirt bike racing then you know you've got it's the best it's all about the best we mm. can't buy a car and have a crack at qualifying at a Formula One event, nor can we do that in MotoGP event, nor can we do that at a NASCAR event or an IndyCar event, but in Supercross you can. Mm. Now that's all good at a, at, at a national level, but at a world championship level, we think it should be all about the heroes, and it should be about the big names and the show should be, and the events should be focused around them, because people want to see the best in the world, and, and every minute should be dedicated to showcasing them in the best possible light, you know, so how, do, you know, so we went about how do we do that you know and, and that is where we've come to the the um you know we're not going to have qualifying heats through the night there will be qualifying procedures of course but in terms of who makes it to the main and that kind of thing isn't part of it mm. we've got 10 teams um they've got to have the best possible riders they've got two 250s and two 450s on each team yep. makes up 20 in each class um there'll be two wild cards in each class um for every event so we can get local stars to so me and can race you can try 100. percent Qualify
1: still, to Adam's point. You can qualify, can qualify to make it to the for mate. the night, but then <laughs> you <laughs> are choice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then you're in. So you know, to Adam's point, like you're not, you're not. I guess changing the structure on the main night or the main broadcaster goes global. Yep. You know, there'll be support categories and there's ways in which to qualify, and there'll be national championships racing at the events. But for the main two three hour broadcast, it's just the world's best yep. going head to head and. We're really excited about changing the formats. We did that with AusX Open and we're going to do that with the FIM World Championship as well. So um, that's really exciting. And I think with regards to Feld too, we've spoken with Dave Prater and we've spoken with Feld and we've said in the media that that championship will run January to May every year. Mm. And our World Championship will run probably as early as late June or early July through to November So we'll respect and and for the riders that want to do Supercross only, they'll have a break in between both championships Mm. and they'll be able to do Supercross only and we can celebrate and grow Supercross as a sport around the world and celebrate the failed championship just as much as we can celebrate ours and the growth globally. So that's that's really exciting for Supercross fans as well. Uh,
0: So I guess what... um, That's probably like, I guess, the question that a lot of people have had is like, all right how do you guys see this just like fitting into the current uh ecosystem you know the u.s has a massive stranglehold on like quote-unquote like the best riders especially in supercross you got 17 races which everyone thinks is too long like i've never spoke to a rider an industry person at like anyone that's like fuck yeah we definitely should do 17 races like and then for outdoors same thing you've got 12 so it's like 29 weekends of the year the best dudes in the world are already taken so what does that leave you guys with you know like there's not a lot of weekends left so i guess how does that whole thing kind of sit in your mind and how do we move to like your series being like the because essentially it's like the goal for you guys would be this is the biggest series in the world. Like this is the one that everyone wants to win. It's not that right now. It's the AMA Supercross. So like what's the roadmap to it becoming that?
2: Well, I think um, first and foremost this year, we we, we purposely kept it really tight to, to race outside the American Championships. So September to November, because we realize there's, there's teams and riders with contracts in place and then nothing can change. And we wanted to respect that. Um, and give the best opportunity for those guys to be involved outside the current schedule. You know, doing 34 races in a year is not ideal and you sure couldn't stretch it more than that for some of those guys. So hence why, you know, we believe what we're presenting is an opportunity for people to be Supercross specialists with the teams and the riders. Mm. So they'll, they'll do the AMA Supercross or other domestic championships around the world and then, um, and then do the world championship following that. Um, And it won't be for everyone. Some will want to go race um, AMA motocross or other motocross championships. But like MXGP has done for motocross, it's created specialists in motocross and the best Mm. in the world at motocross as it sits today are the guys that do the MXGP championship because they're just all about motocross all year long. And we believe that we'll do the same with supercross, that those riders will be the best in the world at supercross because Mm. that becomes their number one focus um and we believe there'll be teams and brands and etc that that will see the value in that um, yeah. so th- for some there'll be a choice but again we're, we're we are inviting riders from all around the world not just america not just the american championship it's important that for us so we have a global spread yeah, yeah.
1: and maybe yeah. touch on that base because you know from a team's perspective it's very interesting but Adam's had over 30 applications from teams all over the world wanting to be part of the 10 franchises. So Adam's going to yep. be saying no to more teams and he's going to be saying yes. And ultimately, they'll be responsible for the riders and they'll be selected on the riders that they are going to have in their team. So that's that's a big decision for Adam to lead over the coming months. But, I mean, you've been overwhelmed, haven't you, by the interest and, and how global it's been, you know, where yeah. they've come from.
2: Yeah, and it's amazing because you find out that there is again there is Supercross fans and teams and riders around the world that really want to do this but Mm -hmm. it's kind of I don't want to say it's unfair but it's very difficult if someone has to move to one country another a different country to try and succeed at that sport which is Mm -hmm. what you know for I mean the the Lawrence boys have been able to do it and so have some French riders but it's very difficult they have to move to the US and and move their whole life there and adapt everything to the American way of life in order to succeed at Supercross um but but if we can create a truly global championship that shouldn't be the case because there should be teams and riders out of Sweden that have got their own practice facilities and tracks etc and they're building up there should be the yeah. same in Japan the same in Indonesia perhaps or Brazil or Argentina or you know because there's a championship that goes around the world they don't have to go to the one country and and somehow try and you know beat all the local guys which is hard enough as yeah. it is and then um, and then work their way up to even get the support of access to a practice track or the access to the bikes, et cetera. Yeah. You know, it, that's a very, very difficult challenge, especially when it's a different culture, you've got to move away from home. All those things, we feel like we can give an opportunity for there to be global talent because they can be in their home country, in their own comfort zone, and prep for world supercross championship you know and yeah. then they, they should they, it should level the playing field somewhat as well
1: plus commercially they can sell to sponsors racing at the home event in yeah. front of a home crowd like that's the other part of that it's very hard commercially to go into a different country a and team, then take yeah. you know how do you take sponsors if you're only racing in the u.s for example so commercially it's hard and and that's fundamentally what's going to happen with the world championship is they're going to be able to commercialize themselves globally based mm. on going to countries all over the world and tapping into budgets for international Global countries brand, yeah. all over the world. Yeah. So you could tap into multiple budgets in multiple countries and do different activations and do different experiences for those brands in different markets, which they can afford to pay three, four, five times the value for. So it's a big deal for them commercially and for those teams as well, like to, to yeah. Adam's point, to, to go there without any commercial value whereas if you're a japanese rider and you can represent japanese companies in your home event and then they can partner with you around the world for the rest of the year and you'll broadcast yep. on a, a japanese tv broadcaster and you're racing in the world championship that's a lot easier for you to justify and we think that's going to motivate a lot of riders that do motocross in other championships around the world to look at this differently and certainly from the team's perspective they are looking at it differently because we, we're changing the model Of the financial model and support for the teams not just for supercross but for motocross globally so it's a really different model for Mm. this sport it's not a different model for a lot of other motorsports but it certainly is for for supercross
2: yeah one of the the most unique things about Supercross, which it seems ridiculous really when you think about it, it, is at the elite level, they pay to be in the show. Yeah. And that is not the case in Formula One. That is not the case in MotoGP. And they're the stars of the show paying to be in the show yeah. as opposed to being paid to be in the show, which is that's the number one thing that we're flipping. We're saying we will pay you to be there. We'll support you to be there. We need you to be financially successful and to, to be commercially viable um, because... That filters down to the riders, to the industry, to everyone else, and to your point before about, you know, previously we we're tapping into the same um, pool of money. Not only is it the same number, you know, select few brands, it's a select few brands within one country's budget as well. Yeah. So you're going to it's Honda America, Kawasaki America, Yamaha America, KDM America, paying for everything. You know, but when you take something globally, now you open the door to all these markets and all these other regions. And and, and the reason why MotoGP athletes and Formula One athletes get paid so much more is they're global athletes getting paid as a contri- contribution from all the countries around yeah. the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, Monster has a, a global marketing fund that all countries contribute to, and that helps pay, pay Valentino Rossi, yep. you know. It's not just one country saying, "Oh shit, I got to fork out twenty million dollars to get yeah. Valentino this yeah. year or whatever it was." You know 100%. what I mean, like. And that's why we believe that it'll change the game for the riders as well, because yeah. because while Supercross again is is big in the US compared to it is around the world, it's still tiny and it hasn't anywhere near hit its straps in its potential. I mean that. You know, the top guys, if they're on a $2 million salary or something along those lines, I mean, man, in NFL, what is the guy even tying people's boots up getting paid that little? <laughs> yeah. Like They're underpaid for what they yeah. are. Yeah. What they do, they're so underrated and so underpaid, in our opinion, and I think you would agree and all, our, all the fans would agree, and the only way for them to get paid what they deserve is for them to be global athletes, and so... That's what we want to do. We've got to show them to the world, and we got to the the rest of the world will see these guys the way we all do, and be like, they're insane. This is yeah. incredible. This is the best thing I've ever seen, and global brands will take interest, and budgets will come from different regions, and we feel like that'll perpetuate so that ultimately everyone benefits.
1: And we need international rider and international team, you know, participation, participation yeah. like like we've seen jack miller and casey Stoner, when they're racing MotoGP gp at phillip island the crowd is much bigger than when they're not racing and yeah. particularly if they're doing well mm-hmm. same with dan ricardo yeah, formula Melbourne. one same with when mark webber was going well if we didn't have australians going and competing well in those events we wouldn't have the same crowds as when they are and when they do yeah and that's the same for every country around the world and every region around the world and even to be motivated as a young up-and-coming motocross rider if you've got this World Supercross Championship coming into the capital city where you live in an incredible stadium, packing out to fifty thousand people, you're going to be training your ass off to get mm-hmm. there eventually and qualify and get local brands and like lo- you know local sponsors and support you. And all of a sudden, your outlook on that sport changes, a lo- you know, drastically, doesn't it? When yeah. you see
0: there's something so, aspirational. Yeah, like something you, you look towards. up to
1: your hero. Everyone's been motivated generally by that national hero for them in yeah. a lot of cases. Some yeah. you're, you're looking up to an international hero, but a lot of them it's who was the most successful Australian in that respective sport on a global stage. Yeah. And you, generally that's your hero. Yeah. Like we all have an attachment with Dan Ricciardo more than other Formula 1 drivers because he's Australian. Yeah. And I think that's a big thing with this opportunity as well. And, and Adam's been very clear in all of his interviews that we're not looking to just take all the American riders and take them over here into the world mm. supercross championship we have to like MotoGP gp has and like formula one has yep. very successfully support young up-and-coming um riders from all over the world we have to or the or the global audience won't change yeah mm.
2: exactly yeah that's exactly right i think you know MotoGP gp and formula one is a perfect example in that sense and they support you know and there's no doubt that D- Dorna were very supportive of jack getting to where he is because we needed him because as soon as casey retired the sales for tickets in Australia dro- and, and viewership dropped through the floor because yeah. we didn't have anyone and I I know I lost interest in case he's not mm. racing. I'm like, oh well, you know, what I've got no reason to watch now. But when and then now with Jack up there, then you do have a reason to watch. So we need that all around the world, you know, to, to make a global championship. You need that and we're gonna go to race in Brazil, you know, in time and it's gonna take time. Yeah. We need Brazilians battling to win the races, and the same if we go into Asia and the same you know, we need to support that and it's not a It's not an overnight thing you know right like there's a reason why the americans are so good at it they grow up doing this stuff so but it's a long-term plan to support the growth of supercross you know around the world by providing access to practice tracks and you know supporting them to come out and do the australian supercross championship for example to get some experience and Mm. it's a long-term plan it's not an overnight thing right now of course the americans and, and the riders doing that championship are the best at it um but over time we've got to we've got to change that to make sure that you know it's got a global spread
1: and the best thing about supercross is still that they everyone lines up in that one gate mm. and you're all got an equal chance at that first corner and we saw it with X opens the Aussies They'd lead laps and everyone's losing their mind yeah, and you're yeah. hoping that they're going to win the race and, you know, the Americans might chase them down. I think Jason Anderson crushed a few souls over the yeah, years when yeah. he chased them we, down we, from yeah, last Yeah, We, we love Jason, but we were secretly stoked when he stacked in the first <laughs> turn. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, we yeah. had to work for it. But that's the beauty of Supercross. Like, if you qualify and you're, you're a wild card and you line up on that start line, technically you could lead the very first lap and who knows what happens after yeah. that. But that... That's all the fans need. They just need hope, right?
2: Yeah, totally. And um, and you know, I think further to that, the reason you know we believe in it so much is because the best Supercross riders are the in the world are the best because of their riding ability. Yeah, you know, not because uh, of the cars or uh, the, it, it, the unlike and other the, motorsports yeah, yeah, like yeah. Supercross, it just doesn't matter that much. Yeah, you know, like it's it's twenty percent and the riders eighty percent. You know, yeah. that's the stat that goes around, which can be flipped in other forms of motorsport. Mm, yeah. So, and and so, truthfully, the guys that are winning. They didn't get there for money they didn't get there from money or, or yeah. you know so they're very you know aspirational and also um you know relatable to, mm. to everyday people because they grew up just like us they grew up mm. riding dirt bikes like us and they've got to that level you know whereas you can't really say that about many formula one mm. formula one drivers that it's like yeah he grew up in a similar upbringing than me it's like lance stroll did not grow up in a similar upbringing <laughs> as me i'm sorry he did not very different <laughs> you know what i mean so yeah. it's like you can't do that in supercross it doesn't matter how wealthy the guy is, or, or yeah. whatever. You can't just buy the drive or a ride for your kid because you yeah. you want it. Like it doesn't work. No. The the talent will always win. You could put any of the best riders on anyone else's bike in that field, and the result will probably be the same or pretty close to it. You know, so yeah, hundred percent. yeah, it's the so injuries relatable. that
1: they go through as well, like. There's virtually no athlete that hasn't had a bad injury in Supercross. So the resilience and the hardships, there's so yeah. much story in that as well mm. of what they go through to make it to that elite level. And it's it's so well-respected because it is so brutal mm. and it is so dangerous. And you make one little mistake and you could not only, you know, lose the whole championship because of injury, but you could break your back or you could break mm. your neck or you could break your arm. Like it's a very, very highly dangerous sport. And that's what MotoGP riders respect because they're generally injuring yeah. themselves in the off season riding motocross, <laughs> yeah. and Formula One drivers are going, are you, "You guys, guys are, are crazy." Doing yeah. really I mean, yeah. I, ain't doing that. I, I own the mountain bike, so I don't ride motorcycle. But even that enough is to respect. Holy shit, you know what I mean? I think, yeah. like, for fans, you know, maybe you don't get into motocross, but you're still into mountain biking, for example, for a non endemic fan, and that's still enough to respect these athletes you know we we want to yeah we want to celebrate like that Mm. that lifestyle the outdoor lifestyle action sports snowboarding you know that surfing it's all part of what we hope the fan base is it's it's not just the rusted on supercross fan it's it's everything like that outdoor lifestyle action sports and yeah, mountain biking. But even we want to attract kids to get onto little strider bikes and little mm-hmm. e-bikes before they get to the motorcycle and or the electric motorcycle. That's all part of our strategy as well because the more just, like you say, on handlebars, on mm. bikes, the better for, for the appeal of the sport. And you you just ride a bike and then you watch them on a motorcycle. You don't need to have ridden a motorcycle yeah. to go, that guy is gnarly. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. and,
2: and, and, you know, to... to I guess squash the niche sort of comments on supercross. I mean all of us I'm not even just us but I don't know of a kid even my daughter's too gets on a bike and makes ning-ning noises and yeah, rides around, yeah, you know what yeah. I mean? There's always that connection, you know, and that connection is what we we need to draw to this, you know, again whether they're going to be supercross riders or motocross riders or not. Yeah. You know as a kid you there's there's always that connection with handlebars and bikes and things and, and engines you know so we're just trying to maximise that and make sure that you know that's how we hook people in nice and early you know to Sando's point
0: is, is part of the plan flying jet around to all these different countries and hooking up with like some chick that's got a like brother that races or something and just having like a bunch of Jet Lawrence kids just to try and like really diversify like the talent pool like maybe we get a couple of top guys undercover flying around the world and we'll start well, like a like little bit of a stud farm yeah, <laughs> that's a great <laughs> idea actually maybe, maybe that's that. a bit of a business thing so yeah. are, we,
2: are, we, are we saying we're going to ask Jet to be a sperm donor are we allowed to say <laughs> things on that I'm not sure yeah, he's I mean, too young for that it's, no he's not I'm he's sure that, Lucas will okay. be trying that at, at, at this point in time 100%. actually to try and see if he can get another 10 of them we just bit. get
0: like why is jet in brazil <laughs> yeah. why is jet in japan yeah because okay, he's probably world, done yeah. that and put it in a freezer for the
1: future yeah. <laughs> he's selling it now he's selling it they're, they're selling for 2.4 million each actually as we speak uh.
2: but, but no nah, like i mean jet is amazing and they, we need all different types of personalities and writers that's why we like we love jason because he's his own type of guy yeah. he's very unique so is dino wilson he's funny character like You know, you need all these different diverse personalities Mm -hmm. and Supercross brings that out because they do come from such diverse backgrounds. Again, money's not a thing. You know, to get to, to be an elite Supercross rider. So there's all these different personalities and, and, yeah, um, and all these upbringings, and all these hardships. Like, you know, talk about the success of drive to survive in Formula One. Can you imagine if we really told the Supercross stories, which we will, which Sando will head up, yeah. we'll tell stories about Supercross that people never do not realize. The mainstream world will, will be absolutely hooked yeah. when they know what these guys go through to get to where they are and what they do and what they put in and the risks they take day to day to day, how hard they work people don't don't know that yet yeah you know they do not know that yet and and the amazing lifestyles they have you know um people don't it's just completely it's like an untapped yeah. story that people are not aware of yet and when, once we you know um which or lead like i said we'll tell them that they can uh, be absolutely blown away with thinking what these guys do
0: and that's obviously anyone that knows uh the ame brand and what you guys did with supercars and supercars life like this has always been a something that you guys have been like pretty passionate about about doing is that that's obviously a big part of the strategy is like a netflix drive to survive type of yeah thing. and there's some wheels in motion with yeah that.
1: there is yeah and as adam touched on so um it'll be announced really soon who we've acquired for our head of tv and medium and broadcast is a huge acquisition for us and, and it's going to lead globally you know all of these tv innovations like broadcast innovations as well as then we're going to run a drive to survive series for supercross every year mm. um and it's a huge focus as you, as you say we're very passionate about it it's been hugely successful even from nfl days with hard knocks i mean that was one of the mm. first series we looked up to when we God, created v8 so good, life bro. you know and yeah, it's, so. it hasn't died yet i've watched the last yeah. i think three seasons i love it i'm a huge nfl fan from that Based series that, myself yeah. as yeah. well and Have i just what's
0: last chance you as well no i no. haven't seen oh, it. oh boys Get really? on, honestly, yeah, right. get on Last Chance You. The first couple seasons of that are just some of the most incredible, slight t- like sporting television you can watch. Yeah, I- you watch that? I'm pretty sure that's on Netflix as well. Yeah, see.
1: Well, it, it, these sort of documentaries generally are hugely popular because yeah. people want to, they want to correlate their lives to, to the yeah. The, the sporting stars life and to adam's point these guys are elite yeah like when you would go over there and see how much they train they train arguably as hard as any athlete in the world mm. and no one really realizes that how much they're riding through the week how much how hard they're training i mean they're so elite and that needs to be covered but also the lifestyle mm. you know they've all got smoking hot girlfriends or wives you know they've everyone knows that they're elite but it just hasn't been, it hasn't sort been of broadcast packaged, right? well yeah. enough you yeah. know yeah. what I mean like they, everyone respects that and that's why we keep drawing on the MotoGP Formula 1 comparisons because they all realise what these guys are yeah. but it just hasn't had the sport and the platform for them to be the global mega stars they deserve to be so Drive to Survive for me I'm, I'm watching season 4 nearly finished it and it's, it's getting better every year and I think yeah. you know obviously the production quality is incredible but there's no reason we can't align with the Netflix or an Amazon and do something yeah. of the same same level maybe not to that level obviously formula budget one wise, but how's, yeah.
0: the, how's yeah. the budget going for yeah. that yeah. <laughs> yeah good <laughs> luck but it doesn't but need, it doesn't but need doesn't to be no
1: the stories even, right? need to be yeah. told right yep, and, exactly. and what they what's critical for that series is the access yeah and yeah. what's amazing about that is the first season started and ferrari and mercedes weren't in it yeah. no access yeah. now season four we all saw those final races last year And they're right in their meetings with Lewis Hamilton engineers. They're they're with Christian Horner paying out Toto, like just speaking openly, swearing, calling him whatever he wants. And they're putting it live. So there isn't another sport in the world that can now, riders or athletes can say, hey, no, 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 sorry, you can't come in here. That's not happening in F1, and that's certainly not happening in supercross now nah. moving forward. Nah. You know, the game's changing, and this is proving how successful it is globally because Formula One ratings are going through the roof. And, like yeah. you said, a lot of it's attributed to the changes they're making and cost cutting. They're making it way more competitive for all the teams. Yeah. And they're changing the car for the first time, and it's, it's sort of neutralizing the field. Lewis Hamilton doesn't have this dominance that he once had. And the personalities, are dragging it out, but also the team owners are hating on each other and yeah. people are getting behind, you know, even like Gunther in Haas, people are, he's super popular and they're the worst team in the sport. But, yeah. but people like that, they want to they see Underdog. now this year, they just got, you know, I think it was two top tens or very close to, I think Mick Schumacher got 11th. They're going to be a hugely popular team really quickly if they have some success this season. And that's what it's all about. And it's
0: are. because they, they have context and I think, like, that's why I think people enjoy this podcast is because there's these writers that you talk to and, like, you see them on TV all the time and you see, like, the web clips and you see their Instagram or whatever. But, like, to, to really get context, like, to really understand, like, oh, this is how that person thinks. This is how that person talks. Like, you don't need to get results, yeah. uh, quote unquote. Like, you don't need to win every race. Like, one guy wins every race. There's 22 on the line. So it's like, what, do we hate 21 dudes because they they don't win? It's like, you can still fully froth on the dude that got 10th if you have context to to his story. story. And you're like, oh, I get it, man. Like, I know why he's not winning, but that's fine. Like, I understand, like, that dude's a a legend. Like, this is what he's been through, you know? So I I think that it's a strategy as well when it comes to, like, telling those stories. And I think this has been, like, one of my gripes with the sport is like if you're not standing on a fucking podium you're worthless yeah to this sport and yeah. i just think that's ridiculous yeah it is like yeah. there, there has to be a way to make getting 10th like fucking gnarly yeah. yeah and
2: context is exactly how you do it too you're to tell the stories because mm-hmm. there's a reason why you know the guy winning is winning and the guy coming 10th is coming 10th and that that 10th may mean just as much to, to him as it did the, yeah. to the guy mm-hmm. that won because he's been through all this hardship that you don't you know, don't realize and people don't know. And so there's so many stories that are untold. Like it's honestly endless. And and the sport is so incredible. The fact that they ride three days a week or more mm-hmm. and then race, like they're doing what they, like Formula One can't do that. MotoGP doesn't do that. Like they, they these guys are taking those chances on the reg, every like almost daily. <laughs> daily. Like that's incredible that they would do that and have mm. to be so, they have to be centimeter or inch perfect every day to avoid serious injury and then they've got to be do all their other training they've got to do sponsor commitments they're traveling around they've got to you know manage life in general it's pretty incredible and 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 throw that in with you know personalities from around the world and you know um the rivalries the fact that these
0: guys have like raced each other since they were kids yeah yeah. ando uh on the podcast yesterday said he's like dude i'm in the business of just like lying to myself He's like, I lie to myself on the track that I'm not scared. I lie that I'm not tired. I lie that I'm not going to crash through these whoops. It's like, how many other sports do you know where like the best dude in the world is like going around the track purely based on just like lying to himself? Because that's how fucking gnarly the level of competition is. You know, we were were in that particular uh, point we are talking about the whoops at A3 Mm. where it's just like that one 50 yard section of track is like there's two dudes in the world that could do it. Mm. And then one of those dudes did it a little bit better than the other and that's why he won the race. Mm. And it was just fully down to a game of commitment of like who's going to fucking send it for the longest through this particular set of whoops. And take, and the, mega, like,
2: t- take the biggest chances you can take in life without, without going over the line.
0: Crazy fucking chances. And it's like no one talked about it. I I find it's not that, a big deal at I all. find no that cares. the most insane
1: part because they're practicing week in, week out. They're doing it. Millions of laps, and still they get to the track, and that that catches them out in practice, or even in the race. Like we've seen, there's like no one could get through those loops <laughs> properly. That's insane to me. It just does not happen in any other sport. Anyone else that's doing it day in, day out, they've got it just absolutely dialed. So, how hard is this? Yeah. You know, because they can't, they're the world's best and they can't. So, it's so physically impossible Mm. and they're bordering on achieving the impossible virtually by doing
2: that Mm. at the speed that they're doing. And the consequences are just so high. Yeah. You know, like, you know, when you're growing up, you know, in motocross or supercross and you're a hardcore fan and then you're seeing. You know, front cover news that an AFL guy broke his wrist or his arm or whatever. You're like, man, that happened three times at the club day yesterday. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, what yeah. I, you know what I mean. Like, it just like it's completely underappreciated. Mm. Like this, how uh, you know br- brave these guys are, and then they they can come back. I mean, look, can Rocks what he's been through, and you come oh, back, and it's crazy. just like, and then he's got to in his own mind sit there and be the it. best in the world, <laughs> remembering that he damn near lost his arm and all these other horrific. Injuries, so that that those kinds of injuries burn into your brain. It's not something that, you know, that you can just forget about. You don't yeah. have those horrific mm. injuries and just forget about it. They've got to overcome that every it time like they get on the bike. Yeah. It lives with them. It's like sitting on your shoulder if you've had those kinds of things forever. It doesn't go away, but the best can deal with it somehow and able to race at that level and completely put that to the side and race at this incredible speed, taking these incredible chances time after time after time, you know, it's just it's actually unbelievable But and
1: yeah. such high stakes at all times because not even if even if the injury is parked to one side it's the fact that then if you're out you don't get the results so then injury you might causes, get dropped or you yeah. don't race in the next team or you, your career's over I mean look at Austin Faulkner again I mean that that so crash unlucky. was just devastating because He's so conscious, and he was racing this year to try and make it through the yeah. season, and he was so open about that. Taking second, if you know, being and and then it's, it's completely, completely out of his out control, of control, control. Yeah. yeah. And then it impacts him, and it could impact his
2: career, his life. Yeah, you know, it's it's, it's money, gnarly. it's career, it's the next next you know contract signing, like all that stuff. It's just it's so incredibly cutthroat, you know, um, and just no one really knows the mm-hmm. full story really yeah. which is you know why that's our you know so important for us to do that you know that's why why we just have to do that we have to tell that story properly you know year in year out to make sure people and then obviously fans around the world get involved and get mm-hmm. on board that journey because they get to understand them and get to understand what they go through and how can you not be, you know, incredibly impressed and blown away when you really know all of that? Like we do. Yeah. But there's, there's millions of people that don't know that. You know, it's really yep. interesting too with Tom Potter, um, one of our founding directors. So
1: he's had 25 years in Formula One. He's he's sold a lot of sponsorship Formula E, IndyCar, and we were going through in the US all the Formula E drivers and all their social followings and comparing them to all the AMA Supercross and all of the followings of all the riders. And even like Hunter and Jet Lawrence as an example, their followings now not only are they larger than Formula E drivers, but they're larger than almost every AFL player, Mm. which is pretty pretty amazing when you think about it. There's no AFL player that's got over a million followers. Like Jet Lawrence has probably arguably got more following than any AFL player, but then he's certainly got more following than any Formula E driver. You know, and that is an established world championship. So.
2: Figure Lending LLC, DBA Figure, Equal Opportunity Lender, NMLS 1717824. Terms and conditions apply. Visit figure.com for more information. For licensing information, go to www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org.
1: The fans already know. Like, that's what's so exciting about social media, to your point at the start. If we didn't have social media and it was just a TV broadcast, you wouldn't know anything about a yeah. Dean Wilson, for example. Yeah. You know, who's such a popular writer, is one of the most popular. And these you know, guys have built, built that events. following on their own. Yeah, They've like, you know, broadcast their personality. Yeah. They've, you know, he talks through he's still human he talks about how he has anxiety and issues but then he's got you know beautiful wife and he's got a, a fantastic lifestyle and he's got an incredible personality every time he ever came out Isaac's Open we always did this fucking funny video <laughs> and he was always you know putting a twist to it everyone loved him coming out you know so I think social media has been a great thing for that but these these series like the drive to survive they're they're also telling those stories and we need to do that yeah. to grow the the following of the sport as well
0: well i mean dude like danny rick obviously massive star already drive to survive comes out and even he i remember he got to uh he went back to america for the first time after drive to survive come out and he just was like dude crazy like just can't walk out of your front door crazy he was already a superstar Mm. so that's the level at which these kind of content can affect yeah Yeah. can Mm. actually create and like jacob uh the producer in america his um his girlfriend uh his wife was just like oh my god Rick like freaking and he's like dude she's never freaked out over like anyone ever like zero interest in motorsport at all and then as soon as drive to survive comes out it's just like full daniel ricardo's like yeah ev- just relatable everything. and understandable
2: yeah. and that's why like um you know kelly my wife loves it too because it's easy to watch it's not watching long races you're watching mm. stories you're watching and drama. you're watching drama mm. yep. and you're watching all that stuff i mean that's why we we you know created v8 life the tv series we did around Supergirls so many years ago is because at that time everyone was getting into reality tv and they're watching people like oh, no, I hope I don't burn this, um, you know, pavlova or something like that. Yeah. And we're like, what the fuck? Like, imagine that's like watching real, like... Mm. Af- like actual, actual shit. Actual yeah. stuff, like yeah. athletes, like risking their lives and going after, you know, serious things and contract issues and blah, 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 and all that stories about their life. And, you know... Um, we we believe in that stuff so much, and that, and and we just believe Supercross has such an incredible story to tell. You know that we that
1: we literally presented wait. that to Seven Network and the brands back then in 2014 because we funded it with um, sponsors yeah. back then to fund this original series. But we literally presented most popular TV series either reality TV or live sport.
0: So let's just do the both. Uh, why don't yeah. we combine yeah, yeah. both? <laughs> yeah. You know
1: how will it go? But it's that, so true, and I think it's going to grow more and more. I mean, PGA Tour golf's trying to do yeah. it. I don't think like I love golf. But I don't think that'll ever have as much success as Supercross could have because they don't have the true hardships. It's not as relatable. Yeah. Yeah. You know, those golfers, they, you know, you're good at golf and you live the dream. Yeah. You make They're a fuckload of money time. and you don't have to be fit and you never have an injury. Yeah. <laughs> it's totally different to, to Adam's, the you know, about the upbringing, where you come from and <coughs> how you make it in Supercross. They're different stars. So it's way more relatable as Supercross athlete. Yeah. It's way more aspirational because they they're elite and they train their ass off. You can't watch someone that just you know like a John Daly for example that can just smoke and drink heaps of beer, <laughs> yeah. beer like and, I respect and, that but yeah and uh, yeah. he'll Not always he'll, <laughs> he'll, he'll always kick your ass at golf so it doesn't matter what you do you know so I don't think that sport's going to work the same Yeah. but everyone's now talking about and wanting to do this for obvious reasons
0: there was a there was a segment uh, I'm a massive golf fan and I'd watch used to just watch tournaments like all the way through like it'd have the whole thing and you can't uh, it's like a test match like after a few days like it kind of boils down a few holes it gets good but you have kind of you have to you watch to stick them, it for out. it to be good. But uh, there was one time there was like uh, they were talking about one of the players who was fighting out for this particular win the big deal story was the fact that he ships a mattress everywhere <laughs> <laughs> what? Oh, I was man. just like I was like fuck this is uh, yeah this is, a hard, this, this is a hard yeah. sell this yeah. is deep yeah they're
2: really going deep for the storylines and try and dig those
0: out I think uh, I think we'll have I mean I think we'll be a we'll be, little bit easier yeah I think we'll find it a bit easier to find stories for us <laughs> so uh, in terms of the financial side of things with the teams so you explain the whole concept of having 10 teams Um, and helping them with finance and, like, explain that ecosystem and how it's different to the model that we currently have.
2: Yeah, I think the main thing, you know, at the very start and the core of it is that, you know, we want to treat them like the stars of the show, which means they need to be supported to get there and we want them to be commercially successful businesses, the teams to be successful businesses because the way it works currently is unless they're they're funded from a factory... um, that's willing to sort of tip in an unlimited amount, kind of thing, to to whatever it takes to win. You know, the other teams don't really have a fair shot at it. Um, so to to you know again make that more competitive and make sure these businesses as the teams can actually survive, we wanted to support them through that. So essentially, what what we've offered is a is a signing fee for the for the teams that are selected to come on board, and that's to help them, particularly this year when there's a you know a changeover from being a US or a european or whatever you know regionally based team um it is you know and their sponsorship comes from that region you know we're we're giving them that money to help them you know until they can achieve international sponsorships for a starter so to help them get set up and then there's a uh, there's an appearance fee per event so um each team is paid to to as long as they show up with their four riders and compete um they get paid their appearance fee um, the There's freight, so we pay for the freight of their bikes around. So it's more of a MotoGP-style flyaway model, you know. So, again, from an in- infrastructure investment, it's a lot cheaper than, um, than you know, traditional in a sense. They don't, we don't expect them to have, you know, um, semi-trailer trucks or big awnings we will create the infrastructure at each event so that they can literally fly in with their boxes of, of bikes and equipment and, and that's what they need. Um, and then there's the, the prize money is paid to the teams, um, which is a, which is a big part of it so there's a 250k prize pool per event um, which is which is quite significant it goes to the team so you know it's up to each individual team to, to hand that straight to each rider or they may negotiate a, sh- a 50/50 share or you know however that works we just wanted to put that in their hands again mm. so that the team is is kind of at the center of it um, because we need to build brands in the teams for longevity, because mm-hmm. you know, as you know, riders come and go, they get injured, and and um, but but we want like what Ferrari has in Formula One mm-hmm. or McLaren has in Formula One, Red Bull has in Formula One, where they have their own passionate fans, and then the riders can come in and go, but the the fans remain with the team. Um, so that's a that's a, a big part of it. Um, but also that is another reason why we wanted to remove the the qualifying to race component, because those teams can go get commitments from sponsors. That they're going to they're be, gonna the be
0: on the start line. Yeah, they're
2: going to be there. They're 100 percent in. They're going to be there, and it also means that we can make share make sure that there's a good share of voice for them and their sponsors, and and you know help ensure that they're getting the, the right exposure, you know, um, to justify sponsorships from around the world too. So, um, so essentially, what what that we feel like that will do is it means that each of these teams are creating a unique license. It means you know there's scarcity. So, yeah. at the moment, like we said at the start you know you can buy a bike essentially and try and qualify um a one and have a crack at it for the year which me and sam will probably do at some point which <laughs> we we hope so because that'll make for good content um and that that's great but in a world championship absolute elite level we don't we think that there needs to be scarcity it's not just, necessary yeah. well just like there is in formula one and moto gp to build value in those teams there's got to be so level of exclusivity to be the world championship competing team you know so that is something that we wanted to do. So, uh, and and it's again, it's following from what's been successful in, in Formula One, MotoGP, you know, um, in NASCAR with the charter system they have for eight supercars. I mean, the NASCAR system is, is a great example of, um, you know, in the recent years where Michael Jordan bought into a team just recently for what was it 13 million dollars, mm. and that team was valued at he bought uh, was was three million dollars three years before. So. Because he wanted in, there was no other way to get in. He had to buy that license, and so the, you know, the scarcity creates value. So we believe that for the ten teams that are in from the start, then um, they'll have something worth something in a few years. And if we do our job properly, which we obviously plan to do and build a global championship, then in three years' time, those teams, those those ten licenses, should be worth you know good money Um, and
1: in in totality the commitment financially is 50 million dollars in the first five years when you when you total the appearance fees the signing fees and all the freight logistics costs that we're going to take on to travel around the world it's 50 million dollars US so it's a huge commitment over the next five years and it doesn't include prize money and prize money will be 250,000 US Every round, and it it will likely grow, and there'll be other revenue um, dividends to them as well that we're we're obviously um, putting in the Supercross teams entitlements agreements. So there's other ways to earn. So like the NASCAR charter system, they have 36 charters, we only have 10. So to Adam's point, like we're seeing the values of that scarcity in the charter system go up by three or four times so we expect this scarcity and these teams in value because we're going to take up so much of their costs with freight and logistics and all they need to do is then fly their their bikes riders and and personnel there and because bikes and supercross racing isn't that expensive when you compare to other motorsports Mm. We feel these franchises could be very lucrative in, in three to five years' time. They could be at a multiple of ten times as opposed to three. So it's a really unique opportunity, and that's why we're seeing so much interest. And it's, yeah, again, Adam's job to, to select those ten teams, present to the board for final sign-off. And he's got a really tough job on his hands because he's saying no to more people than he's saying yes. Um, but it's really exciting to have this this clean sheet of paper and this new approach and you know Tony did it very successfully in supercars, and he set up that model similarly in supercars. And and when it started at fifty five thousand, they're getting virtually no dividend, right? But when mm-hmm. when he sells it for three hundred and ten million, and the growth over those twenty years, those individual wrecks, there was twenty six of them, they made over twenty million dollars over the, over those years, and they they were worth you know three four million dollars on the point of sales, and then scarcity as well was was there, so. It's, a, it's interesting it's not unique to all other sports but it's certainly unique to this and to Adam's point to support that we want team owners that are going to have international flavour you know they're going to be personalities in their own right as well mm-hmm. and they're going to have their own brand Which I think is awesome and, and as Adam touched on he said Mercedes and he said Ferrari and then he said Red Bull Mm. So we want to be open to that as well. We, we, we're not just going to be focused on manufacturers or just wealthy team owners. We want brands to, mm. to look at this. And we do want a similar to a Red Bull racing. We want brands to have a franchise and bring in riders and do things differently and really shake the tree. So that's exciting as well. And we've got a lot of interest from people from different sports and different backgrounds. And we're open to, of course, you know, you're going to say no to Michael Jordan having a team. I wouldn't think so. But we're mm. open to those celebrity team owner um, approaches so that's Marky pretty exciting either. in itself <laughs> yeah exactly yeah.
2: but yeah I mean to Sando's point 50 million dollars US plus prize money over five years is about another 15 million I think it's 65 million dollars worth of commitment just to, to the teams over five years that essentially isn't there now at all no you know there's the, the, not only that they have, to, they have to pay so that's our side of commitment to them to our belief in them and how valuable we see the teams being as part of this And so, you know, we hope that they believe in that, come on board the journey with us, see that they can grow into something globally. and absolutely we want them to be we want those guys to make money we want those guys to have teams that are worth millions in years mm. to come because if there's only 10 and in three to five years time where we have a global sport like a MotoGP sized sport in, in Supercross then each of those teams is going to be worth serious cash and and that's good we need them to, be, to do that you know mm. and that's the way that it just filters down like the people that we're talking to now like there's a lot of business people that are seeing this as a potential great business opportunity but for that business opportunity to be successful, they're going to need to win, or they're yeah. going to want to win. So then they're going to be competing for the likes of Cooper Webb or Jason Anderson or, or you know Eli Tomac, and and it creates a competitive marketplace of of people willing to to, to pay the dollar for the for the riders, which pushes their value up. You know, yeah. so over time we we and and then it puts the onus on that team to generate global sponsorship to be able to afford to to justify to offer. You know Cooper or Eli or, or Ken Roxon or Chase Sexton or whoever it is Jason that the money that they deserve. It's a it's a competitive market from around the world, not just in one country. Because yeah. right now you've got the 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 American distributors of those brands, and there that can only push the budget so far, right? Because they're only coming out of a US budget, they can only afford so much. Yeah. But if again if it becomes you're seeing it from a global level, and there's global sponsorship dollars then that can increase you know significantly and and that's how we think that those guys will be paid the money that they, they deserve
1: and the the riders will be world champion the teams will be world champion so they'll have a legacy with them yeah. you you win the world championship in 2022 you've got that with your franchise that's your legacy like so yeah so if almost, you're successful yeah. Obviously, and someone's considering buying a team, they're going to go with the teams that have been successful. They've obviously got their shit together, right? Yeah. And then likewise, we're going to celebrate being a manufacturer world champion. So give manufacturers globally the ability to market that they're a world champion and and use that is going to be really important. So we've got three world championships for the different obviously categories, but that that's really critical as well and needs to be celebrated. And it's been very successful in, in Formula One for that reason, the constructors or the teams yeah. championship, because it's something else. It's another storyline, right? Yeah. And it links with the team and their their legacy. So it's really important to have that and then celebrating the manufacturers. You know, there could be nine or ten manufacturers in Supercross in the future so you want to be able to celebrate and they'll want to fight for being a world champion in in supercross if we establish this world supercross championship as we plan to that's going to be
2: really lucrative for them as well for motorcycle sales Mm. yeah and also like the whole team the purpose of doing it this way is that the team what makes up a team could be completely different you know to Sando's point before it could be brand led you know not manufacturer led which means Is there any reason why a brand couldn't have four riders on different manufacturers? That's pretty much what I was
0: thinking in my mm. head as we we're sort of talking about mm. this. Yeah, thing, and, know, and, like
2: and 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 because they want to win the, the team championship, if if one of the guys isn't performing, they sub him out and pull someone in that will. Mm. I don't know, like maybe. Yeah. I guess what we're saying we're not we're just saying the the doors open for those kinds of that kind of thinking. You know, yeah. it be, it, it, the, the model the way it has been doesn't have to be all the way if one guy wants to ride on this manufacturer because that's the one he likes and they're going to support him great but they've got three other guys in that team they may be on three different brands Yeah. you know with an overarching sponsor perhaps mm. you know I mean there's no reason why it couldn't be
1: same with Formula 1 the bike livery and the rider livery might be more aligned with the sponsor or the team than it is the manufacturer as well or yeah. just the apparel brand so th- things may change like that I mean you see with Alpine they're pink because of their sponsor at the moment we may have pink motorcycles or we might have like that papaya <laughs> yeah, orange yeah. that mclaren have for example you know there's unique colors in formula one to those teams and that's really cool because it's generally linked with either legacy of the team or the sponsor yeah and that's something commercially we need to offer you need to have one off you might have a one-off bike for one weekend for one sponsor yeah and your, and your and your whole apparel links with your your bike as well it's not just always just the apparel sponsor for it, so to speak yeah. or maybe the apparel brand might actually own a team and it then it's, the it's all about them and it's on the bike and the colorways are linked with their apparel yeah it can be both ways so it's exciting when you when you talk like that i think you know for us to think about what the future is because that's obviously where we we hope that vision comes but it's not that hard to break those barriers down mm. yeah, yeah. To be, we
2: want to be the the beauty of starting fresh is that the there's no there's no Model baggage. the way it is, and it has yeah. to be this way, yeah. and it's done that way because that manufacturer funds this, which means that they pay the bills. And that, I mean, that's why Supercross, you know, and Feld couldn't take it internationally um, when they tried a few years ago, is because the teams and the way the model is and the way it's funded currently is all out of US budget. So all those teams said, "No thanks," and they said, "Okay, well, because." That's that's the way it was and that's the way it is there. But we're able to start fresh and go, it doesn't have to be that way. We're going to support these teams regardless of what manufacturer that they're on, all equally. They all get the same level of support. So, you know, this guy might decide to have, or girl, by the way, team owners could be female. We're talking to a couple. may decide to have three different manufacturers or four different manufacturers Mm -hmm. or all the one because they're going to get great support from one of the brands. But it doesn't have to be that way and they don't have to start by contacting the manufacturer and asking them for a whole bunch mm-hmm. of money because we're providing more support you know so it opens the doors for them to do to do um, you know fully branded bikes and things in different mm. colour ways because again they're less reliant on the manufacturer
0: well the thing is too like a dirt bike's fucking 12 grand
1: it's not it, that they're I mean, not expensive like, compared to other motorsport categories yeah. and that's why Adam's getting so much interest because they're like you're going to pay how much and it costs how much to run Yeah, you know, compared to
2: motor- other motorsports there's no comparison I have like four bikes yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's because awesome. so you're making have, so much money off this can, podcast yeah, well,
0: <laughs> <laughs> but that's what I'm saying yeah. like I'm a fucking squid I've yeah. got four bikes it's not that, it's that low barrier awesome. to entry for fans
2: too yeah. right yeah, exactly yeah. Yeah. exactly and so again why well, you know it's not money led in terms of the ability to win, really, like there's gonna be the teams and the HRCs of the world, etc. You know, they might spend next level, but we are also as part of the model limiting that because we're paying the cost of the freight, but we're also saying that we're going to dictate how much freight can come, so mm. and how many people can come. So you can't send four data electricians, two suspension guys, and three engine guys because we won't allow that and so,
1: 45 spare engines yeah
2: that will limit the amount of spares that can come the amount of how bikes about goggle guys helmet cleaners man friends
0: girlfriends girlfriends always welcome the rest <laughs> by application <laughs> okay. no i mean you know, in
1: relation yeah, to like who can work on the box yeah, yeah, so yeah. so you can have 50 um commercial people with all your sponsors or you but can be entertaining like crew, you know yeah, yeah you yeah. can take a hundred stuff if you want to but as far as people working on the motorcycle and where we know over time motorsports always you know even Formula 1 having to put caps team owners will spend as mm. much as they possibly can, can to win yeah. Yeah. and we need to make these profitable we need to sort of control them from themselves
2: you know and pull them back so and the more the money then ends up in the riders and the Mm, the the
0: people that because again 80 20 Mm. exactly in that split yeah are are you guys gonna have any uh i guess obligations rules wise like homologation like i want to see some fucking factory bikes
2: do you i'm interested to hear your thoughts on that i mean that that's something that's a it's a topic of discussion um we will talk to the manufacturers about that in terms of what ways to follow I think initially being similar to the US is helpful because yeah. obviously there will be riders and teams that are already set up that way Yeah. but there's great arguments both sides right like full factory really you know does that I mean I don't think that makes such a difference again that the results change that much but it's really cool
0: I just think like yeah like so storyline wise you know and I mean if you can I guess it's hard because like let's say let's say like Eli Tomac Kawasaki wanted a cable clutch couldn't have a cable clutch. Mm. Well, that's not what we do, that's not in the, you know, the rule that sort of thing. So it's just like, I don't know, is this an opportunity where because I I guess too it it would depend on the type of people that end up owning teams. Yeah, that's I like if right. if, it, if it's a you know, like a Lance Stroll kind of guy, then like, yeah, fuck He'll it. You'll go he,
2: get the cable clutch, I don't mm. give a yeah, shit. Yeah, exa- I want you to win.
0: Exactly, mm. and it's like that to me, I think is kind of cool and if you've got these people that come in and it's like they're changing these bikes to where it's like more you know rider focus it's just an element that we sort of just don't have and i mean even like all the bikes are just so similar to each other it's just mm. it's not really kind of a storyline in our in our well, sport I, you as know?
2: well when they're factory like i think what we will change is there won't be factory teams They'll be. They may have factory support or support yeah, from manufacturers, yeah. but when there's a factory team, the plastics have to be that color. The yeah. bike has to look like the one they're gonna yeah. that they're gonna um, sell. You know, and it's actually quite limiting. Um, but when you've got a private team owner that that ha- may have support from a, from whichever factory gives him the best support, that, or he or she that suits their program, then they can. They can. They could. Why couldn't a guy? Why couldn't a guy put a Honda front end on a KDM if that's the way he wants yeah. to do it and yeah. that's what works for them? You know. Um. I mean you know that it really removes the again the way it has been is is because of us the way it's been structured over a long period of time but it doesn't have to be that way anymore with this mm. like you know it could change completely
1: it's got to it's got to be a balance i think that's a hard one for you because you you want to still to the ama supercross discussion we had earlier you want to still have teams able to test you know say jets riding a bike in the world championship that he's 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 testing and Progressing to then race in the AMA Championship as well. Like we do want to have that crossover, so I think it's it's unique. It's a bit of a balance of both, and I think that's that's obviously ultimately Adam's decision. But it'll be it'll be interesting. But in saying that as well, you're going to have like an advisory panel with yeah. the teams. FIM are going to work in with that advisory panel and and Adam as well. So I think we'll try and. You know, work that balance out right because there's a lot of talk about factory versus production and yeah. you, know, you, you could spend a million dollars on a supercross bike and it, it may not be better than a hundred thousand dollars supercross yeah. bike you know, that, yeah. that's yeah. cool about the sport Yeah. so I don't know I don't really have any sort of personal well, view I think, on it but I, 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 think just too, know, like, I just trust Adam will make the right decision I've got
2: regrets like. over my just comment because I just pictured like winners take all bits of bikes being put together and that's not really what <laughs> oh, yeah. that's not really what we vision but I'm just saying that you know I guess what we're saying is it just opens the doors yeah, for, for, yeah. for innovation and how this could be um, but ultimately you know the the, the teams um, should have more empowerment to make yeah. the decisions themselves to, to, to win and that that's what we, we want to see
0: well you think like all right so the the jet lawrence thing like riding the bike that he's gonna race in the supercross that's that makes total sense mm, right mm. so then think about uh you get like let's say you've got a abu dhabi team mm. and then this dude's got a fuckload of cash and then he's down to throw it at this bike they're probably like that abu dhabi team like he's not going to be able to get a jet lawrence or a cooper Webb or like they're contracted to that factory team but what's not to say that they don't get a, like, a kind of second-tier rider, but then you're putting a second-tier rider on, like, a crazy first-tier bike, and there is enough to make a difference, you know? So, mm. I could just see it being, it's like, a, really a little point. bit of, like, a yeah. shifting landscape to where it's like, okay, yeah, so KTM, they have a slot, and but they're... Almost like a factory bike mm. is like a limiting factor. Mm. Like, yeah, mm. cool. Bring your factory bike. It's a piece of shit. Where we were <laughs> like in now in this stadium. Yeah, yeah, know, yeah so. it's interesting. I mean, we don't know. That's the exciting. Yeah, thing, you right? don't. You, you don't know. know. Mm. And again, it could be this kind of thing where it's like, okay, in the the regulations for twenty twenty three state that you can do this and you can't do that. And it's like the the minimum weight becomes like seven kilos lighter than what you know the other um than it was the previous year and then let's say you go to and this is all just fully fucking hypothetical but it's like let's say you've got a ktm that comes in and then they, they are getting smoked by this this whatever concoction that this nummy
2: bike is it nummy that was the <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh,
0: but like let's say they do get smoked by that or there is some like crazy tech that gets in Mm. uh, and then all of a sudden like the other manufacturers kind of have to take that a bit more seriously and then you do see some like real evolution coming into the sport Mm. because right now it's one of I guess not like a frustration but it's like a thing I think about now it's like what's the incentive for dirt bike manufacturers to really make the bikes that much better Mm. there's no real incentive like it's got to just kind of stay within this operational window which is what the AMA supercross essentially like they dictate how good these bikes can be at a consumer level but it's like you get to open season i think that was the initial point of f1 like that's why people raced f1 like ferrari and mclaren and mercedes they raced those because that was the pinnacle they could develop hybrid electric technology Mm. and the 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 same technology that you now have in a camry or a prius that is from formula one there is a trickle down effect that happens and i just think nowadays like that whole element is just completely missing from our sport moto gp is a perfect example of that as well like my ducati has crazy fucking electronics mm. just out of the box that works insane mm. that's all because of the way that it got tested into MotoGP it takes a couple years but it filters down and i guess just now with like the current rule set there's not really any incentive for KTM to do that. Like, mm. the bike doesn't need to be this much lighter. The bike doesn't have to do this. The, the mm. electronics... Eh. Like, we just got to win this championship. Stay within these frame geometries. Stay within this package. And we just keep selling it year on year, year on year. It's a realist... Dude, the Kawasaki is a 2008 Honda frame. Mm. You know? Yeah, I think Hasn't it... Hasn't been much. Really I think like, point.
2: Yeah, and I think the... Like the market will decide right because we don't really know and that's what's that's what's exciting about it and we'll, yeah. we'll it we'll, might be
0: a dog shit idea well we don't know yeah. and
2: that's what's that's what's exciting about it and i think you know opening it up to, to being global and 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 opening up the ways of thinking again you know means that innovation can happen and also we're excited to have team owners that are innovative thinkers that have been yeah. successful in other areas and yeah. other sports and other businesses that are thinking outside the box you know because the reality is you know, in the US, there's factory teams owned by the distributors of the manufacturers in the US. The team managers running, you know, funded by the brands, kind of yeah. thing. Everyone's the, the, got a walk-in lockstep, mm. like yeah. From that, the top to the yeah. exactly. It's different to a, a business owner that's an innovator, in, innovator that's had mm. success in other areas that may look at this thing completely differently mm. and go, like, why? Why do we? Why is it being done this way? We can do it this way over here and completely change the game, you know, and and. Um, you know, if the the product that we we build is what we believe it will be, then the manufacturers will see it as an opportunity to develop and sell and, you know, potentially, you know, how they use it to to market to their consumers in the future, so.
1: Well, it'll certainly be an opportunity for development year round, in a, in mm-hmm. a, on a racing and professional world championship basis right because you're doing the American championship then you're doing the world championship so the ability for them just to test in racing
0: mm, will constantly.
1: be much much bigger and elite competition and a world championship will always attract the best engineers It will always yeah. attract innovation you know to win you have to innovate constantly all the time so that's that's why those elite motorsports do create the best engineering and, and develop the best ideas because they're just pushing themselves day by day by day to be the very best. And look at like a transformation as an example of Ferrari. Yeah. You know, where they where they went to, to where they are now. Yeah. And I think the best thing Formula One has done is started to bring in cost caps so it really equalises and it can't just be this endless money pit. Yeah. And we're very conscious of that. So I think provided we work to your points which are great but have you know really sustainable costs that every team can somewhat afford that I think that's where you get the true balance
0: yeah but I just think that the level at which like it's pennies on the dollar Mm. like to do the let's say you do the same development Scuderia does but on a CRF450 mm. like it's literally do so the, yeah so mm. much yeah but you know so you can if you put a couple million dollars development into a dirt bike like that's fucking crazy that yeah. barely touches a Formula 1 car that's right but you know and I think that there's just so much room uh, if you get some really cool creative minds and even stuff that can just trickle down to like the, the sort of average dirt bike guy. Yeah, yeah totally. it
1: benefits the average dirt bike guy is what you're yeah. obviously saying. over time, the, you know. The technology.
0: Like, exactly, yeah. over time. And then, you know, I think too that the the bigger the market gets, the, I guess, with scale of, you know, mm. selling anything, costs can come down. So like, mm. I think that there's there's a lot of follow-on effects that can happen by, I guess, like letting people do some crazy shit within like because it's like you said it's the pinnacle you Mm. know it's not the this isn't the series if it was the series where i could go and qualify for a main event on a crf 450 that i just bought a dealership then it doesn't make sense to have this like crazy kind of you know development or ability for teams or like Mm. really loose regulations but if it's the same rules for these 10 companies and it's like no one's at a disadvantage now exactly. as long as it's not a hundred million dollar cap and that you know mm, you've got yeah. one guy that's going to be able to afford that yeah if it exactly. stays within reason there's no privateers that are getting fucked over there's no like no one that's on mm. the grid loses out to that where i think that is the argument in the ama yeah is that you go okay well you know everybody can come and do this. Like yeah. we want to make it fair for privateers. That's yeah. not an option. That's not no. a problem. And here. we and
2: we love that. But it's we don't think it's right for the world championship. It, it should need be, be elite. It should be yeah. elite. Mm. Yeah. And that those ten teams will have a level playing field based on you know what we're putting forward, and then it's up to them to. To do the best and get their best staff and get their best, yeah. you know, knowledge base within there, and to, to but we're putting we're saying that it's equal in terms of what they can bring, the people that they can bring, the amount of financial support from us, yeah. is all completely equal. So they've got to you know, they'll start from the same place, yeah, um, and that should make for the best racing. But again, the rider is still going to be the biggest factor, yeah. So if you really want to win, you're going to have to get one of those the best riders from around the world, and and um, and that you're going to have to invest to do that,
0: mm. yeah. So how how long are we? Or how far away are we from like knowing who some team people are?
2: I think uh, so. Our board meetings at the end of April, and so um, I'll present all the expressions of interest that we'll receive over the April next... April next year? No, this year. Oh, this year, April. Oh, yeah, yeah we're not
0: in April yet. Yeah, yeah. so we'll... Um, we we'll, that's so, close. so It's
2: close. So um, we'll present it then and then I think we've we've left like a two-week window after that to actually, you know, sign contracts and agreements and, you know, we'll announce along with series dates and locations in, in around May, we're saying, aren't we? Mm. So... Um, but it's getting it's getting close, and yeah. there, and there's um, you know we're getting great interest from promoters and venues around the world, which is which is awesome, and um, we'll soon be able to announce some some solid dates and and um, venues, which will be great. So the momentum's definitely building, and there's definitely a lot of interest, and um and we know that we're going to have some of the best riders in the world. You know, I yeah. think that that's you know that's something that, you know, we heard it was you know like are they just going to get B riders and we're just getting like B rider like to, in, with all respect, like world champions, like the best guys want to be world champions. They do. They want to be the best in the world. They want to be. They want to be respected for that, and they should get paid accordingly for that. And that's what we expect to to attract. You know, we expect to attract amazing teams that that will get the best riders, and um and we'll celebrate them as as legit world champions. You know, so it's all starting to you know take shape, and um and slowly you know we're breaking down the barriers, and there's a big you know big story to tell and a lot of education as to you know what we're doing why we're doing yeah. it and why we think this whole thing can change um but you know we believe in it so much that we're just gonna keep going and keep pushing and and um and we believe
0: we'll get there so how's it going to work this year so the the people that line up this for this year's races five races this year are they going to be the 10 teams that you'll give the franchises to like it's so that model was starting straight away it's not going to be like ozx or whatever no, yeah, this really? year. So
2: yeah, so so um you know may like you said around may this year that the 10 teams will be announced um the 10 um uh, fri- franchise license owners. Yeah. Um and yeah, so that's why we're rewarding them with a lot of financial support to come on board to begin with. Yeah. Um and we believe those ones that that get on board this year and and um back us as well, you know, will will see the financial benefit in the long term, so you know they're the they're the ones that we're, yeah, we're
1: out, like out rewarding out. those that buy into the journey and see yeah. the vision we, we appreciate that it is just a vision it's obviously in its inception before year one but we know by year two yeah. everyone's going to be it's like a different story. oh yeah. fuck yeah. but those that jumped on board bought into the senior management team everything that we're about everything we're presenting and what, what's going to happen and they believe in obviously the strength of the events we'd already established and how much better they can be they're going to be truly rewarded and then ultimately, it's just a buy and sell process. If you yeah. want to get in, you got to find you've got to find someone willing to sell to you next year or the year after or whenever. So even for the manufacturers, if there's no factory teams, they can come in in years two or three, but they've got to buy someone out. Yeah,
2: and or well, the manufacturers if the manuf- any manufacturer that misses out from being one of these first ten teams. Um, then they'll have to find a team to run with next year mm. and that means they're going to have to throw more support at that team for next year mm. or a team or teams to choose which ones they get. So, again, we feel like that will reward the, the teams mm. and the team owners that come on board with us now because as we become more established and as we grow and, you know, Sando's global TV broadcasters is announced and things like that, then the brands will really see you know what the potential is for this and then those teams will have you know a a great position because you know a a manufacturer or brand that isn't involved will need to go through them to get Mm. involved they can't just start a team and and turn up you know that's that's the difference
0: so is there i guess because i know you've got to go soon um what is locked in at this point that you can talk about like a is there certain venues, countries? Is there anything, like, that's pretty much squared away that you guys can talk about now? Or is there any other, like, information? Because, yeah, I mean, it's been... I, I'm excited. I, I have no doubts. Like, it's just... I know what you guys do from that. years yeah, and years ago. You. So, like, to me, I, I just fully look at this as, like... Yeah, okay. Well, all this shit's happening. So, like, how do we just? All right, let's just get on with it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um. So yeah, what's what's locked in? What's exciting that people can sort of understand for like this year? How many countries am I going to have to fucking book to go to these mm. races at the end of this year? Oh, I'm finally be able to go to some fucking races too. By yeah. the way, actually. I'm excited about that. Yeah. Um. Yeah. But yeah, I guess what's locked away that we can talk about?
2: Well, I think we talk about regions. Like we know, yeah. we know we're going to be in at least four, maybe five regions this year. You know properly globally which is important you know um you know north, north america is a big focus asia's a big focus europe's a big focus australia's a big focus for this year you know where in in which city in each of those regions we can't announce yet but yeah. we know we'll be in in those regions um also you know us is going to be a big focus whether it's this year or next we're not 100 percent sure yeah. and south there's conversations america.
1: in south america sorry
2: yeah S- yeah south america i mean lots of different locations in europe south america um, the Middle East, you know, yep. obviously somewhere that we'll that we'll uh, we'll go to. So, you know, for this year we know we're going to be at least four, maybe five, um, strong different locations around the world, different you know, continents, different yeah. con- all all different continents. Um, we hope to sort of lock those in in the next couple of weeks. You know, we're going through the the due diligence at the moment yeah. with regards to the venues. You know, that make sure the dirt's good enough. You know, all the all the things that need to happen before you can sort of tell anyone and, and, yeah. and lock those things in. So the great news is there's a lot more venues and locations and cities that want events mm, than we can yeah, give.
0: coming in a crazy time right now. Every, like people want shit in yeah, their stadium. Time, you know? Every host city
1: and government wants events back and particularly a lot of stadia that have had no events, they want content back. So They've yeah. got their normal sporting championships that come every year but then they want music and they want you know new events they certainly want world championship events where a lot of people travel so it's really exciting because a lot of governments are investing in in what's after the pandemic now we're coming at that exciting time so we can definitely say that we'll have an event in australia we'll have a world championship round in australia that's something we can say um i don't think that'll be a surprise to anyone though and um yeah we will we will look to maybe announce an event or two events you know, between now and May, but we won't formally announce the calendar and the official dates and the official cities until May, possibly June, um, as we work through everything. and And we may then start announcing some events for twenty twenty three. You yep. know, this year as well, because there's so many exciting venues and so many cities. It's just the time frame to commit is so short that a lot of them will push to twenty twenty three. So we know yep. the championship will likely double. Um, or possibly bigger than that in, in year two because of so much interest, you know, there'd, yeah. be a, there'd be at least 30 possible locations we could go to next year. So it's already really exciting for the future Yeah, because of that reason.
0: Mm. Ronan, can you please stop clicking that pen? Oh, can you hear that? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's getting your wiggy. I was like, fuck it up. And what about riders locked in? Uh, there's rumours. Um, but you guys, obviously, that's one thing that... Uh, is another, I guess, like, feather in the cap as well. Like, Ando talked about it on on the podcast that any time, like, he just wants to do your events regardless of how fucking over it he is from racing all year and, and the, all the scenarios that would stop someone wanting to travel internationally. He's like, all those factors mitigated by just, like, knowing... Um, the way that you guys do events, the way that you guys treat riders—is um, there people that are locked in? Like, can people expect like a pretty high level of like racing kind of year one?
2: Yeah, totally. I mean, the, the, there's the there's top five guys wanting to come. You know for sure. Um, I, I haven't heard of a rider that's not interested in coming. But each of them have their own individual challenges when it comes to contracts and what yeah. team they're on and whether they can or can't, you know. So so you can't sort of possibly put a blanket statement out there. In terms of the teams, they're not contracted yet because we're going through the process now where um, they're just starting to get invited to um, with expressions of interest. So mm-hmm. we, re- we receive those back, take it to the board at the end of April and decide which teams. And part of the team selected will be dependent on which riders that they're contracting mm. as well. So we're saying to the teams, put your best foot forward, what riders are you planning to have, you know? And and it's there's a bit of chicken and egg there because they not they don't mm. know that they've got a team, so they can't necessarily contract the riders, but they obviously you know can say who they're talking to, and, and it's obviously very um, confidential. But um, but we know that the top riders from around the world are, are super engaged and super interested. Some that that um that aren't even racing in the American series, but are incredible global mm. athletes in the motocross space that can ride supercross really well too. So. You know we're excited to see how it lands but as of right now we can't even tell you which rider's is exactly mm. because it will depend which teams are selected and who they're talking to which they're all having their own individual conversations at the moment and well you're putting
1: in touch a lot of their agents yes. with with the team owners so that a lot of those possible negotiations are happening as well like mm. if i had a team I'd pay this what would you take all of that's happening in the background so there's mm. a lot a lot of energy and a lot of positivity in the background And obviously, it's hard for us to not be able to announce anything. But we feel really confidently that when we can, it's going to create a massive groundswell. And that that impacts not only the events we announce, but the sponsors we can secure, the broadcasters we're going to announce. So it's a lot of it's coming and and we look forward to announcing. But it's, it's exciting, the conversations we are having, I think, fundamentally. And we know that everyone's interested, to your point, Jason would love to do it, yep. you know. He would love to go to the events if he could. We hope to see him there. Um, but to your point, we will be rolling the red carpet out for those riders more than we ever have before. Yep. And that experience that they've, you know, enjoyed and, and what we've prided ourselves on with our events and giving them that quality experience, it'll only be better yep. moving forward. That's one thing we can say.
0: It's uh, I've heard that it's going to be a pretty crazy year for team changes too. So that's mm. sort of like the variable... Uh, just on the AMA level like there's a lot of noise at the moment of different people going to different teams Mm.
2: but I think also you know we're throwing a a variable in there too because there's the riders that are wanting to potentially shift the way their year looks and what their season Mm. looks like so there's a variable too because some teams are okay with that others aren't some manufacturers are being forced to think about it that way where they didn't potentially want to before Mm. so you know Riders are pushing hard to get the for their season and their year to look the way they want it to look as well, which throws a whole different variable as to you know they may be on a team for the for in the US and they may be on a different team for the Mm. World Supercross Championship. Um, And now what equipment they're on, you know, all that that's that's up to them. But you know they're trying to figure out whether they can do that at the moment too.
0: Fuck, it's cool, man. Like it just knowing the way that it could go down and the scenarios that could play out. It's like you know you get a let's say like a jason anderson he rides for factory kawasaki it's like hey i'm doing supercross only and then i'm riding for you know this brazilian um fucking gas company uh in supercross like the the lance stroll of you know and Mm. yeah i just ride a cowie like he he just Mm. gets me a cowie and i do my thing but i'm not contracted to cowie for that particular thing he
1: might buy his motorcycle or rent the motorcycle off Cow in the US and fund them to send their personnel that's that's the other consideration it's a bit like triple eight engineering in mm. the V8 so they built cars for the other teams yeah and there's not manufacturer backing for every team, but they all survive financially on sponsors. So it's yep. just a different approach.
2: Yeah, totally. So
1: Adam's been saying that to a lot of the team owners as well. There's there's huge opportunities for the for the US based teams to potentially be paid to send paid personnel, yeah, to provide yeah. bikes, yeah. to provide equipment, to provide their specialty. So. There is a lot of opportunity for them, even if they still want to manage everything they're doing in the U.S. as well. So it's a it's an add-on for them. We see that as a positive, as opposed to you know
2: a conflict. Yeah. Mm. yeah. There's no reason why the U.S. factory teams couldn't offset some of their U.S. costs, costs yeah. by by selling that IP and knowledge and bikes and parts and support to a private team owner racing the World Supercross Championship, mm. yeah. and therefore Cowie or whatever it is, you know Honda Yamaha yeah. whatever it is 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 being represented on the world stage but you know
0: being the, paid to yeah. be represented yeah the world,
1: yeah, so. and the major sponsor might be Petronas or Telefonica yeah. or you yeah. know whatever it's a, it's a global brand and then they just ride that motorcycle
2: aligned with the rider that he's aligned with and what manufacturer for example yeah mm. so there's yeah Whole different ways to think about it. We, there's all these things that happen in other motorsports that don't happen in Supercross, and there's no yeah, reason why yeah. not. It just ha- it just doesn't. But there's, yeah. you know, as Sando said, Triple Eight's perfect. You know, perfect example because these other supercars teams pay them for their knowledge, pay them for their things. Some buy engines from Walkinshaw, some get them from Triple Eight or whatever. Triple um, Eight use that money to offset their racing costs, and and therefore their their business is as much about supplying parts of the other teams ironically they race against Mm. as it is about racing themselves Mm. Um, and that could happen in Supercross why couldn't why couldn't and there's no reason why not
1: same as um, Formula 1 Red Bull Racing
2: Renault engines
1: then they've switched to Honda engines now there's talk they're potentially aligning with Porsche Mm. like that could that could happen in a way as well where the the sponsor may change manufacturer that they're aligned with year in year out because they want to be the best and they're not happy with the bike you know one year and they change and they just scrap the bike because they're just you know they're they're red bull racing and all they care about is for argument's sake the the bike that they race on and they want the best of the years and they'll just hand pick out of the seven or eight that year okay we're riding this yeah it could be it could be any brand it could be telephonic at doing that doesn't have to be red bull but you know what i mean so
2: to adam's point you break the mold of what's always been Mm. been done and why why the team owner and the license holder is better to be a person or, or or a business than it is to be a manufacturer. Yeah. Because if it's a manufacturer, then that's it. It locks it in, and that's you know that's the traditional model. But by being a private person, then or business, then there is freedom to move. They can change, like we said, the model can be you know it can change year to year. If the they can they can create a competitive marketplace to get the best deal, the best equipment, the best support. Yeah. You know to to win races year on year, and that should you know help raise the level.
0: And so, when's the when are we like? What's our window for this year?
2: September to November. Yeah. So we'll start first or second weekend, uh, second weekend of September. We won't clash with AMA Motocross, and we'll finish around mid-November. Yeah. And, and uh, we
1: won't clash with Red Bud, is I think the yeah, third weekend of, oh, of September. So we we're just navigating around that. There's two weekends in September we can have events, and then there's October, November, and yep. we finish on that 18th, 19th weekend. Um, which gives enough time before AMA Supercross as well. And that would probably be that finale every year, to be honest.
0: Yeah. And, and so uh, what's going to be a win for you guys this year? Like what's going to kind of be a success year one?
2: Um, I mean, just epic events. No matter what, we're not going to do any half-assed events. I think the number one thing is that it, whatever wherever we go, that has to be epic. It have to be at, the, at a world-class standard and, and to what our expectations are, which are really high. Same goes for broadcast. same goes for the teams and the writers so involved. So just like
0: marvels the standard. Absolutely. Oh, yeah, 100%. Can, yeah, Absolutely. So,
2: you know, we, we have incredibly high standards. You'd rather do less events and make them just absolutely kick ass um, because we know you only have one shot to make a first impression, right? Yeah. And we feel like this is our opportunity to to do that again and, and and it has to be at the highest level so our expectations are just to be to blow it out of the, out of the, the park to be honest with you, we don't mm. have any option.
1: It'll be the best events we've ever run, we can guarantee that and they'll be in one in each continent mm. and they'll have incredible broadcasts and everything will be elevated because of the the team we have and the personnel and the financial capital that we have so we we truly feel before we've even done these events that this this will be a success that leads into the next year but we're very conscious that this is a three year five year journey it's mm. not one year and it just smash it out of the park and then next year just walk you know no dramas like this is going to be a really hard tough slog for the next two to three years and it always is for a a new sporting company I mean even MotoGP when it first came in and took on the established 500cc championship which was an established championship that predominantly raced in North America it took them years to get to where they obviously have gotten to over you know they're over 20 years now so we know it's a long road um but where's to adam's point first impressions count so we're not going to do any sort of b or c level events these are going to be the best you know world championship events that have been produced before um and we're like really excited of how much interest we have now and how many people are already coming on the journey so we just know it's it's like a we're, snowball right
2: we know that we'll look back and and laugh i mean we look back and laugh at the first Ozx open because before we ever did it mm. we were selling a powerpoint like now yeah. look back it's a pretty shitty powerpoint with yeah. pretty shitty pictures of just like dudes on bikes because we hadn't had an event yet right yeah and so but people came on came with us on the journey and they believed in us and you know thankfully it was it, it you know worked out well and it, it's literally like that again mm. where we have like we said at the start a really clear vision of what this can be and will be but we don't have any proof yet mm-hmm. you know um, so you know thankfully people believe in us and believe in the journey because they've seen what we've done but at the same time you're still selling them the dream at the moment you know and yeah. so we know that the the pre- which we love the pressure is on us to deliver absolutely what we say and better than what pe- other people will ever believe that this could be and that's what we have to do we don't have a choice but to do that um, and then You know, won't say it'll get easier next year, but you know that's how the whole thing starts, right? You're just going to start with a blank sheet of paper. We're going to give it absolutely everything, over deliver in every area we possibly can, and, and we believe people will, you know, come on the journey with us.
1: There's definitely going to be new innovations, both live event and in broadcast, that the sport hasn't seen before. I can guarantee you that. So there's going to be ways in which we change it up. That's going to really excite people as well. So it's not going to just be. You know, a better AusX Open is going to be Mm. something completely different. We've had since 2019 to do all these new ideas that we've had and now we've got a whole much larger team, a world championship team and a financial backing to do it on that level. So we've got
2: a lot of exciting Mm. ideas to make these events, you know, elite. The experience, yeah, I mean, from exactly the entire experience for how you enjoy Supercross, be it, you know, on your phone, on television, Mm. live at the event. We want to completely rethink that and think yep. about that entire experience and how it's immersive in every sense of the word. You know, um, we're not just going to go out exactly and and run the same events that we've done or has been done and just take them around the world. No, we want to completely, completely shake it up. So,
0: I'm here for it, boys. Always, right. always here for it we've well, uh, got a triple
2: A access pass waiting
0: for you mate cheers man. Jace so I was
1: just going to say there's still time for you and Sam to get a team together and submit it in before the board meeting mate I was thinking actually that, right, yeah. can <laughs>
0: imagine the kind of oh, dude we'd have who'd we have Jats and Stankdog probably would be like our our team maybe <laughs> yeah yeah. We could, that sounds good maybe Jack Miller yeah now so yeah, we're, into, we're into it yeah okay yeah, yeah I'm into let's, it let's maybe talk. he could Disrupt. be your team owner <laughs> yeah well, yeah yeah dude oh, there's fuck. an idea all right we'll go off there's there, still babe. time i've got i've got some <laughs> ideas i've got some ideas now as always i'll be there to support whatever you guys do um for anyone listening to this that isn't familiar with these two gentlemen they fucking nail it everything they do they kill it so thanks this, this thanks isn't, for your support, this is just fucking carry on like there's no. some there's some serious work that's like years and years and years and years on like so many different levels that's gone into this Um, and I think you guys over the last 10 years have just like realistically covered every bay, or like you've worked in every area, whether it's like the TV side, the logistical event side, working with the writers, you know, the marketing side, everything you guys have touched all of this within your, you know, your business life and personal life. And so I think that, you know, there's, it's a, a solid team, even just in you guys of, um, you know people that have spent years kind of building up to this point so Thanks, mate. Thanks, yeah we man.
2: appreciate it and i mean ultimately we're fans we're just so passionate we believe in it so much that we just want this thing to to go around the world and you know that's our mission
1: yeah and we're investing in amazing people to work with us and and be on part of the team to your point it's amazing people that work with us on osx opens and there's incredible people joining the team now which is really exciting so Looking forward to it, man. And thanks for all your support.
0: Yeah. No, I'll... Uh, yeah. And I think too, like people... the Like just the fucking views that we get of talking about racing. Like there's an economy in talking about racing. And what do we need? Fucking races. Totally, yeah. <laughs> you know, so like there's this... And storylines. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. this is just a whole new opportunity. I mean, this will probably give birth to, you know, channels all over the world. New media from different countries and you know i just i'm excited with you know i know that i guess the reach and the global kind of um appetite for it and i think that you know to have it's like a canvas to kind of paint on you know what i mean like this is just like a, a new canvas that we kind of um that we all get to work with so totally definitely mate. exciting time appreciate it man thank you no Jones boys we'll talk Legend, soon bro sick thanks oh, mate dude what do we got to do to get fucking Danny, Rick, and Millsy to have team go. together? There you go, yeah. That's far <laughs> <you laughs> Sammy met, Sammy takes
2: Sammy, t- Sammy mentioned, mentioned it to me once and said, we should have a team. I said, like, fuck it.